As I said earlier, the first major attempt to regulate the diamond industry has seen some success, but it would be a far cry to call it successful. Human Rights Watch recently compiled a report on the sourcing practices of 13 of the largest jewelry and watchmakers. None of the companies gained an excellent rating, with only one, Tiffany's, considered strong. The remaining 12 divide themselves between being moderate, weak, and very weak, as well as no rating because of a lack of transparency. It seems perfectly clear that even today, many of the most recognizable names in the jewelry and watch industry have absolutely no idea where their diamonds are coming from. But the stories on the ground are even worse. Many mines in African nations are considered artisanal mines, which require little to no mechanical equipment, but do need many, many hands. There are an estimated 1.5 million artisanal miners in Africa, many entirely dependent on the tiny income supplied by whoever's running the mine. Conditions in these mines, often in remote locations with absolutely no oversight, are frequently appalling, and there are consistent reports of kidnappings, slave labor, child labor, violence, rape, and widespread intimidation. All while the diamonds extracted from them continue to enter our markets, either legally through loopholes within the Kimberley process or illegally by smuggling them through other countries who can provide the required documentation. It's impossible to say just what percentage of the global market should be considered blood diamonds, but between 5 and 15% is generally mooted, though that figure could really be much higher. Blood diamonds is a phrase that we rarely hear these days, but the truth is that diamonds mined thanks to the blood, sweat, and tears of impoverished Africans are still flooding the market at an alarming rate. It may have been a topic of great global consciousness in the early years of the 21st century, but the topic attracts precious little attention today. Diamonds have long provided the dirty money to fund war in Africa, along with other parts of the world, with the Western market either unknowing and blissfully ignorant of the fact, or at times deliberately and callously using these wars to increase profits. And sadly, Despite grandiose attempts at regulation, it's a problem that remains rampant even today. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white savior films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And we've we've got a movie today that I did not enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll get into why. That's usually we'll, my line. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to try to make this fun, but this isn't a fun movie. Yeah, no. So <laughs> we'll figure out how to get into it. But We'll we have, have a good a... time, but not at the expense of anyone related to the subject matter yeah, yeah. in this movie. <laughs> but we do have a fun guest uh, that we're excited to talk to. And she we is do. a, a Brooklyn-based culture writer who I feel like if you've read stuff on the internet about uh, culture, about film... And about blackness specifically, you've probably read some of her work because she's written for New York Magazine, Essence, The Atlantic, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Teen Vogue, BuzzFeed, Vox, OK Africa, The Root, and Harper's Bazaar. So that's, you know, that's your that's wide your ranging right too. there. Wide, wide ranging <laughs> the whole internet. Um, but we're, we're definitely excited to talk to her. This is Shamira Ibrahim. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, Thanks for, for coming. Sure. Yeah. 
And before we get into the movie that we're talking about, I I do have another movie question um, Mm -hmm. because I haven't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Internet is is doing Internet things and going crazy. But looking at it and kind of trying to get the vibe of things, I did see people talking about your review of The Woman King and appreciating the, the nuance involved in it and just the way that you took a more considered approach let's say (laughs) than some other people and i'm i'm curious about you know as as somebody who is in all of these spaces right you know i mean you're you're writing for like cameron said like a like a multitude of of different sites and different um outlets like when something like this comes across right Mm -hmm. and like i mean one of the things we talk a lot about on the show is considered criticism right specifically when it comes to to black work because i think a lot of the times um you know the internet is is not a place for nuanced discussion (laughs) specifically (laughs) specifically social media and just watching the way that like i i just saw boycott the woman king one day when i logged on to twitter and i was like i don't even know if i want to know what's happening Ugh. here and it it was exactly what i thought it was but it was also just like okay guys like we're doing we're doing a lot right now mm-hmm. um but like i think what's what's so important and frustrating in a lot of these cases is that like no matter how you felt about say like a harriet or a birth of a nation or um you know name a film that like maybe wasn't the best and certainly had problematic elements like the success of those movies allows for further movies you know what i mean and like when people just say we're gonna boycott this or like we're off this before either a seeing the movie or b like jumping to as the internet loves a a quick conclusion a hot take um you know like these things have ripple effects and and further repercussions and so you know for you covering this stuff and like trying to approach it in a certain way like how do you go about doing something like that where maybe you might have critique or you might have something to say about problematic elements of you know black media but also understanding that like if you just trash a thing right like it may not be it might not have the intended effect, right? Like it might just be like, you know, somebody piling on to something else instead of actually like taking the time to think about like what, what it is that's, that's happening here that we need to talk about. Right. Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is I think as a critic, like if you're, I don't say if you're a real critic, cause I don't think there's any such thing as like a real critic, unless you're like a real dickhead. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry if language is like a no, thing. No, please, it's please. Not. <laughs> so like it's I do not. have a little bit of a potty mouth that it is after hours, but um, uh, you know, uh, if like what I want to say is, I don't think it's actually really fun to trash media, like actual cultural work. Um, I want black work to succeed. I want a huge swath of black work to succeed, so that we don't have to be forced to have conversations that feel. Like that create a sense of urgency that every single new piece of mainstream, quote unquote, um, black media, whether it be an album or a film or a book, seems to be hinged on this pressure of this has to be make or break, right? Because mm-hmm. one, I think it's unfair to the creators, and two, mm-hmm. I think it's unfair to the consumers, right? Because the reality is, like, you know, 
not only is it people should have the freedom of choice to watch or consume what they want, two is, you know, studios decide whatever the hell they want, right? right? You know, like in some respects, yes, you know, they do pay attention to numbers and marketing, but in reality, Black people show up, right, for everything, right? You know what I mean? We support our own, even for shit we secretly think is mid, right? You know, like, <laughs> and we won't say it publicly, but we'll, you know, tap each other on the shoulder and be like, yo, like, yeah, we're not, we'll, we'll, we'll have a meeting. Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll joke, we joke about it as writers, right? Like for years, like the way that you would know if something was mid was if nobody was pitching about it, right? Because right. <laughs> we didn't want to be the ones to slander it but we didn't want to write about it either, right? Yeah. So that's how you'll kind of secretly know if something is not good because we're not really clamoring to review it, right? Like, that's like the secret tell. But the, like, the reality is we'll still show up in numbers for it, right? You know, Tyler Perry, for years, no matter what you think about the content or the, you know, um, quality of his work, those numbers were outdoing regularly. He still wasn't getting offers for studio deals for years, right? Mm -hmm. And so now the studios have to come to him because he owns the entire line of production top to bottom, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You know? And so I think in some respects, people have to realize that studios just do whatever they want to do because they want to be able to drive the narratives that come out to Hollywood, right? right. Um, as a critic, what I think my responsibility is, is I have to think about what the intent of the work is, right? if it meets the intent, like the actual intent and goal, right? Because sometimes you can see, I see what it's trying to do here, right? It's not it's not sticking the landing, right? Right. Even if I think even the intent of the work is good, right? You know, those are like several different things. And so I think, you know, as I become more and more mature in the space, because, you know, I definitely have done things where I've just been like, tap, 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 cap, 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this shit is whack, you know, like, um, you know, you really have to give that entire picture of like what the aim of the work is supposed to be. Does it meet that aim? What kind of context does it sit in? And then you allow the consumer to really think about whether that is something that, you know, interests them. Right. So, yeah. you know, for example, the conversation on The Woman King. Right. Watching that. Like the aim is to make a black woman's brave heart, like take the entire conversation around slavery and its function apart. Right. If you're a consumer of historical epics. Right. You understand that, right? You understand the idea of Braveheart in its general historical beats, right? And the right. idea of kind of supplanting black woman in this kind of victorious triumph, right? You know, mm -hmm. and in that general aim, it does that, right? You know, it gives you those kind of highs and lows. It gives you that kind of big triumphant speech, right? The idea of really kind of swelling to, you know, victory or whatever. It situates that in kind of a historical context, of course, of having black people be liberators and, you know, the idea of having, you know, triumphing over your captors, right? You know, mm -hmm. the moment of like a literal white person being washed away in the same shores that slave, like, you know, slaves were actually washed away in. And who doesn't want to see that image, right? Like, a literal <laughs> white man being dragged away in the Atlantic Ocean, right? You know, like you get, you get the actual appeal of that, right? You know what I mean? But the yeah. thing that the problem is when you have things that are reconciled in real history that haven't actually been reconciled in real history. Mm. The moment when Black history is literally being wiped away from the history books in American curricula, it gets a little tricky, right? Because yes, like Hollywood plays fast and loose with history. And so should we hold like Gina Prince-Bythewood at like some sort of amazing threshold that other films, literal films, 
that are very popular, that are based in American revolutionary times, that will pretend that that wasn't contemporary with slavery at the same time. Like there's no slaves in those films, right? So yeah. then, mm-hmm. you know, should we hold her to some extreme like, you know, threshold? No, but it also, how do you countenance that? We should include that in the conversation, right? Um, and so you kind of just have to include all of that and just, you know, acknowledge, you know, she has two burdens to meet, right? And and the burden of entertainment is different than the burden of history, right? And For so sure. you just kind of have to acknowledge all of that at the same time and, and tell people that, you know, we're having a lot of these frustrations because we have these visceral emotions. And sometimes you have visceral emotions, you don't have the words to contextualize them. And that's why you'll see a lot of Twitter conversations explode because Twitter kind of feeds our, I think, our inherent id, right? You know? And yeah, <laughs> it is It is uh, the collective id. <laughs> right. And so that's why phrases like Black trauma get to be able to, you know, like those sort of pithy phrases get to go viral um, because it says everything and nothing at the same time, right? So when you're like, this thing just makes me really uncomfortable. I don't really know why, right? And someone says, I'm just tired of seeing Black trauma on screen, right? And it's like, yeah, that sounds right, right? It's like, well, it doesn't really say anything, right? Like, what is Black trauma like in American life? That's literally like every fucking day, right? So you just don't want to see Black life on screen? Like, what are you actually articulating, right? And mm. you have to be able to sit and think through what actually is making you uncomfortable and whether mm. or not there's actual, you know, like maybe there's heft to it, maybe there's not, right? Maybe it comes out right. that actually there's something that you are struggling with and it may be specific to you, right? Maybe it is specific to the labor of the film. Sometimes you just realize that there could be a more careful way to engage with the same topic and material, right? But you know, I think, for example, the idea of quote unquote slave movies, right, that that gets like, you know, put out a lot is sort of frustrating because, for example, what makes The Woman King not a slave movie, right? You know, right. <laughs> literally engaging with the topic of slavery, right. but yet we're acknowledging this is a historical epic that is trying to reclaim and be a little bit more triumphant about it, right? Mm. So I think really honing in on, you know, what is actually the material context and application and, you know, what it actually meets, what it doesn't mean, really helps people kind of get to whether or not that's something they want to get to, right? Um, And then it helps people then talk about more interesting things like the filmmaking, the storylines, the thematic overlays, right? Instead of just kind of getting into the, you know, oh, we want to see representation because like, I think the representation politics of it all get really tricky, right? Because it's like, okay, you just see Black people on screen, Black people doing what, where, and for what reason, right? You mm, know, right. yeah, I'm, I, that's a very long answer. My apologies. No, that's a great no, 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 that was great. Well, I think so much of what we just discussed goes into the movie that we're about to discuss. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> today we're talking about Blood Diamond, mm-hmm. uh, which is a movie from 2006. Mm-hmm. So uh, in a couple of years, Leonardo DiCaprio won't fuck with it anymore because it'll be <laughs> past 25. But... <laughs> in the here and now, though, uh, it's got a few you know. more years to go. And I Don't think... let it be true, Leo. Don't let it be true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm interested in, in why you wanted to discuss this movie in particular. Um, there's a few reasons why I, I, this movie intrigues me. I think now there's like this investment in like African culture, the rise of Pan-Africanism, you know, mm-hmm. in general, right? Like there's explosion and, you know, I'm not saying it in a snarky way, right? But, you know, like 
you know, people love Burnaboy, right? Everyone wants to do their trips back to Ghana in December and go to the, the Afrochella Afro Nation and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that all that for, for the most part is generally great, right? You know, listening to Afrobeats music and so on. Um, but I think people also forget like the times when, you know, at the turn of the 21st century where conversation was like very heavily stigmatized, right? Where, you know, conversation around um, African culture was was very much looked at as, you know, Africa is an irredeemable place, right? You know, um, that was riddled with conflict and that it needed to be saved, right? Um, And trying to move past that um, has been an uphill climb, right? Um, and, you know, I come from a country in East Africa called Comoros Islands, like it's off, it's in the Mozambique Channel, um, right off of Tanzania and Zanzibar. And for a long time, my country, for example, uh, had been known um, just for the fact that it had a lot of coups, right? You know, um, and so like literally the press coverage would just be, oh, we've had 20 coups, right? It would never talk about, you know, the French colonialism that had held us under control until 1975, right? Or talk about that we're one of the biggest producers of ylang ylang cloves and manila in the world, right? You know, mm-hmm. like things that are actually were interesting or talking about our biodiversity or whatever, right? right. Um, so I think really kind of engaging in the, um, like and examining how the Hollywood machine sometimes reinvests in certain tropes, right? Under the guise of humanitarian work, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I went through a phase around this time. I've gone through a few different phases in my life and career, right? Where I thought I was going to be like a international policy person. <laughs> and uh, I remember um, this was a time when um, uh they would like send us like packages around like the AIDS crisis and the Ebola crisis in Africa. And like, you know, like everything was just always rooted in just like the ultimate disrepair of the continent, mm-hmm. right? You know, as if like it was non-salvageable and all we could do was just be humanitarians, right? Yeah. Um, and it was kind of very striking to see like how that was the only way to engage in the continent um, when, you know, I don't know, like my community growing up um, was, had a lot of West Africans in it. And I just never ever like viewed Africans that way because they were just my community, right? right. And so um, I was always frankly quite shocked to view that people viewed Africa that way whenever like I engage in material outside of that, right? And I think Blood Diamonds is, is part and parcel of that in like a very underlined way because it was, it's so blatant yet it got so lauded, right? Yeah. Um, I think uh, there was a review I read years ago that called it Rambo for liberals, right? Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to see that movie. I don't want to see the movie that's described like that. <laughs> oh my god, because that like gives me uh, Nancy Pelosi kneeling with a kente nah. cloth scarf vibes, and I don't want to. Exactly. I don't. Exactly. I don't want to participate. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it got several Oscar nominations, you know, so oh, yeah. truth. <laughs> it got a lot of nominations. I yeah. think the, the general consensus around Blood Diamond, even to this day, is that it is a great movie. It is an important movie. You know, it's a movie that, like, I think a lot of people view as one of the last big, like, message movies, you know, that, like, got, like, the big budget and was able to do, you know, a lot of those things that, our boy, our boy Zwick is known for. Uh, if you, if you're Repeat unaware, this is, <laughs> this is Edward Zwick's third time on the show. Um, <laughs> the, the first time <laughs> was Glory. The second time was The Last Samurai, and now he's back with Blood Diamond. 
This is unfortunately, and we we love you, Jaiman. This is Jaiman Hatsu's fourth time on the show. Stargate fourth appearance on the show. Uh, <laughs> Stargate, uh, Amistad, same kind of different as me, and now this movie. And this is Leonardo DiCaprio's second time on the show because Django, and now this. So uh, we've got we've got a multi timer club joining <laughs> us for this film. I was gonna say, you know what's interesting about. Um... Uh, this film to me is that uh, people have realized now that Crash is a piece of shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And and you know they can realize like how absurd it was. I don't know how we didn't realize at the time that Matt Dillon being cured of racism by having to save the person he sexually assaulted <laughs> is, is mm, like bro. just the way <laughs> to create a story arc, right? Um, but this movie very much came out in conversation of that same kind of um, era, right? You know, so they yeah. were very much like informally in conversation with each other, right? Um, you know, just those same sort of white savior tropes, uh, colonial tropes. And somehow that sort of recursive discourse has not come back around, right? You know, no. um, people can understand like, oh, we're all, we should all be embarrassed for celebrating Crash, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, you know, in a very, um, gosh, what's that, um, hillbilly elegy kind of way, right? You know, Ooh, but, yeah. um, uh, and three billboards, that kind of conversation, right? But like, we can't understand how, like, they haven't come back to realize, you know, Blood Diamonds, that was, that was a bad moment for all of us, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's a movie that came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. Again, it is directed by Edward Zwick, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Connelly, Jamin Hansu, and was in development for a while because Paula Weinstein, who is one of the producers on the film, like had an idea and was trying to figure out a way to get this film into production. And the original script, according to Edwards Wick, uh, because he, he punched it up was very different. And it was almost like he describes an unfortunate Indiana Jones esque adventure of like two diamond smugglers trying to get out of a west african country with a diamond and i i'm glad that movie didn't get made but Mm. this movie this movie did and you know he says that he you know he added um solomon's son and like the child soldiers and like a bunch of other stuff that came to be in the movie but like it had a a pretty long gestation period until it became you know, Blood Diamond. It had a budget of a hundred million dollars and a box mm-hmm. cost of a hundred and seventy-one point seven million dollars. So, very much a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we said, it got nominated at the 79th Academy Awards for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and then at the Golden Globes, Leonardo DiCaprio also got nominated for Best Actor. Um, it didn't win a lot. Sound editing, sound mixing was trash. I have no idea. Yeah, Yeah. yes, (laughs) it got nominated for a lot. The only thing that it won of note is Jaiman Hatsu won Best Supporting Actor at the National Board of Review Awards in 2006. Um, But it is again a, a movie that's very much revered and specifically has a place in conversation where there was a moment in time where blood diamonds and the idea of blood diamonds conflict diamonds was like a big deal mm-hmm. and like a kind of an emerging idea. And then it hasn't gone away <laughs> at all. Yeah. We'll discuss that later, but like, I don't know. I'm very curious to hear about 
people's thoughts on just like if this movie accomplished any of what it seems like it set out to accomplish. But before we get to that point, Cameron, I feel like five minutes. Do you think you can do this this two hour twenty something movie That's in a five lot. minutes? There's a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> there's a point where I looked at the timeline. And I was like, there's a whole hour left. <laughs> But um, we're, we're going to get into it. Um, five minutes? I don't know. Let's say seven. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start the timer and right. then we'll see where we end up at. Uh, <laughs> All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right. So it's 1999 in Sierra Leone. This is a West African nation uh, in the north uh, western part of Africa. And this country is in the midst of a civil war. We got the government, we got the rebels. The rebels are these factions called uh, the RUF, the Revolutionary United Front. Uh, they are basically terrorizing the, the Mende people that live in these villages and taking their land and using it to mine diamonds uh, and also take their children and sweep them into um, uh, not labor, but just to be child soldiers. Yeah. Um, so we meet uh solomon vandy who is jaiman hansu he's living his life he's got a wife he's got a daughter and he's got a son and just before things are feeling a little good in the movie boom ruf come in and they just sweep up everything they take in his family and they've uh instead of chopping his arms off like they do a lot of the children in the village they have taken them to a mine to uh mine diamonds so one day he's out just minus some diamonds and he happens to find a huge diamond, a pink diamond, a blood diamond. And instead of, you know, putting it in his mouth and trying to sweep it away for later, uh, he puts it under his foot and tries to sweep it away for later. Too bad because the captain who I just learned his name is Captain Poison. Yeah, that's that dude's name. Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, the head like of this rebel. of rage character. Honest to God. <laughs> he might as well be fighting a street fighter. Captain Poison. Uh, so Captain Poison sees that, you know, he went off to this, uh, that Solomon went off to the side and he's uh, got this diamond on him. And just before uh, Captain Poison is about to snatch this diamond away from Solomon, uh, a battle breaks out and literally they just get, you know, swept apart. Uh, and in the midst of this battle, you know, Solomon loses his family. He kind of loses track of where he is, but he buries the diamond. He buries the diamond in the dirt before he gets swept away in the midst into, uh, well, he gets arrested. Yeah. Uh, so he gets arrested and then we meet, uh, Danny Archer, who is Leonardo DiCaprio. He's from Rhodesia. He's a diamond smuggler and a mercenary, a self-proclaimed soldier of fortune. Uh, so he basically grew up in, in, uh, Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, uh, as a, you know, uh, also a child soldier in a battalion, uh, in South Africa and, uh, his old, uh, his old captain is still out there looming his old Colonel. Uh, so one day while he's trying to smuggle some diamonds across the border through some goats, through goat necks. You know what? I, you know what? You couldn't have told me. You couldn't have wrote that in the script and told me like what I'm going to see. Well, we saw the inside of Goat's Neck. Um, so he gets arrested for smuggling goat necks and diamonds, and they both end up in the same jail cell. Uh, at that time, uh, Captain Poison sees Solomon and he's like, Where did you bury the diamond? I want to know. 
all this time, you know, Archer's still listening to all this. He's he's like, oh, there's a diamond out there. He's hears that it's maybe a blood diamond. Oh, he's gotten some he's getting some ideas now. So uh Archer gets bailed out of jail uh by some higher-ups basically because he's part of a diamond smuggling uh organization that smuggles to uh larger factions that de uh deal out these diamonds to the US. Basically, uh, we get to hear many times the way how uh, diamonds are go from the mines down this pipeline that's more and more illegal as it goes all the way into the pockets of rich white women in America, <laughs> all, over the, all over the world, pretty much. So Archer hears about this diamond while well, he's getting bailed out. Uh, Solomon also gets bailed out, but Archer leaves some money for him, says, come find me. I'm going to help you out. So... I'm going to help you find your family. So basically they both have the same want or similar ones. Uh, Archer wants to find the diamond wherever it's buried. And uh, Solomon wants to find his son. It just so happens that throughout the movie, uh, he gets swept up into uh, to be a child soldier. And uh, I guess um, maroon from his family. Yeah. Uh, you gotta forgive me. There is so much that yeah. happens well, in this movie. That's five minutes. Yeah, I knew, and that's literally the first act. Um, but they uh, let's let's see, let's see, let's see. Well, at, at a certain point, Archer meets Jennifer Connelly. Um, yes, who, who is a who is a, a reporter? Yeah, Jennifer Connelly or Maddie Maddie Bowen. Maddie Bowen, who is a American journalist. They meet at a bar. They discuss the plight of you know the africans who are being you know treated these ways but also they want to fuck because it's a movie yeah oy, oy vey. Mm -hmm. so uh that uh maddie got gets the idea to write a story about the diamond trade and uh archer is like well if you want to fuck on the way then we could do that you know i can help you you can help me sadly that's the way it, it is in this movie uh, they decide to head out, disguise themselves as journalists, uh, headed for Kono. Kono is uh, where uh, there's like a, well, they're going on a press convoy. They're going on a yeah. press convoy and uh, they're basically trying to make their way to, what is it, the camp? This yeah. is the, uh, the UNICEF camp where Solomon's family is possibly being held. They try to get there on a press convoy, but the press convoy gets ravaged by basically a battle just breaks out between the rebels and the government. Uh, they get swept away. They manage to uh, drive into the jungle after a giant chase scene. They drive into the jungle and they end up meeting uh, this dude, what, Benjamin? Yeah. His last name, but his name is Benjamin. And he's a nice guy. And he's uh, rounding up young child soldiers who have been taken away from their families, giving them a place to eat, sleep, and learn. Um, it's basically like this oasis in the middle of the jungle. Uh, while they talk about, you know, Benjamin maybe helping them get to the UNICEF camp. Uh, well, basically, that's what they do. That's what he does. He helps them get to the UNICEF camp. Uh, they drive a long road. They get stopped at a at a bridge that is being uh, watched by the rebel, the child rebels. And one of the rebels shoots Benjamin in the face. It's horrifying to watch. Uh, they end up crossing the bridge. They end up finally getting to the UNICEF camp. Solomon sees his family, but he realizes that it's only his wife and his daughter and not uh, Dia, his son. 
So he's sad about this, but UNICEF is basically like gun butting him to get him away from the fence. Meanwhile, Maddie manages to take a couple pictures to for her story that she's trying to write, uh, it, which is like the, the weirdest conflation of like uh, interests at that scene in the movie. It's like yeah. supposed to be this like heartfelt moment, but it also kind of feels gross because the two white people are only there to you know further their own interests. Meanwhile, he's the only one having violence inflicted on him it's yeah it's really strange honestly it's really strange um so they leave there and uh they decide to go to an airfield well that where they could where maddie could be taken home and uh maybe uh archer could get away out of the country uh maybe he could get to america maybe he can start a new life and maybe they could fuck because <laughs> that's what the movie cares about uh so they go to the camp the three of them, Solomon, Maddie, and Archer. And uh, Archer runs into his old captain again. His old captain is like, well, you got this guy here. This guy knows where the diamond is. Let's let's get this guy rounded up. Let's go find this diamond. So Maddie manages to distract uh, a soldier while he grabs some gear. And him and Solomon head out into the woods, into the jungle, while, uh, while Maddie manages to get on the plane headed for London or wherever. Um, so in the jungle, they immediately get captured. They get captured by the RUF. And uh, Solomon says, well, oh, Solomon ends up meeting Captain Poison again. Captain Poison's like, hey, what's up? It's you again. I got your son. Let's go find that big old diamond. So they go to try to find the diamond. But the, but the camp that uh, the RUF is stationed at has been ambushed because Archer called in the ambush earlier on their trek. Um, so in the midst of, and literally you hear uh, the Colonel say like, I don't care if Archer's down there, I just want to kill them all. So in the fight, uh, Solomon manages to bludgeon Captain Poison to death, but then yep. uh, the Colonel comes down there and sees Solomon, finds out he knows where the diamond is. They go on a diamond search again. So well, and also Archer, Archer heroically saves. Oh yes. In the Dia. midst of the battle, yes, Archer <laughs> heroically does save Dia, but it seems like he doesn't even want to because he, I, I don't know, there's like conflicting things, like he's like, I, I don't want to do this for him, but also this could save my life at the same time. It narratively does not make sense. It narratively doesn't make any sense. It's literally like he's one screaming African child amongst many in the, in this, in the midst of this battle, and Leo just happens to be drawn to him. Also, yeah. by the way, how do you remember exactly where the diamond is and b how do you remember if you know dia happens to be with this branch of the ruf you know the movie doesn't care about these things because it all just happened yeah it's it's, yo tia (laughs) tia so (laughs) and we'll get to that in a bit uh so in the midst of this battle dia is uh doesn't manage to abscond away sadly he is captured by the colonel the colonel is like well, if Solomon's going to do anything for his son, he's going to take me directly to this diamond for the son. So they get out to the middle of the jungle where the diamond was buried. Uh, at gunpoint, he's told to search for this diamond in the where uh, where Captain Poison previously searched for the diamond. They're looking around. They're looking around. The closer that the colonel gets, uh, Solomon manages to smack the gun out of his hand, grab the gun, and shoot the two officers that are there uh and then there's a lot of gunfire so you don't know where the possible bullet that hit archer sadly uh came from so archer's been shot but they also found the diamond 
So Archer has uh, called for a rendezvous, rendezvous of a plane to land on a ridge that would take them away, take them to meet their family. And they could, he could get the diamond probably to London or to, uh, you know, this guy Vandicap, who runs basically the diamond trade out of London. Uh, so uh basically they get the diamond they get away from the jungle and they're on the way to this ridge but archer's like no more no more i can't take it i'm so bloody i'm so hurt leave me here on the edge of this ridge and i will heroically shoot ruf soldiers while you guys get to the top of the ridge and get to the airplane and, and call my girlfriend and, oh yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> one last thing i gotta call my girlfriend and make her sad real quick um, so he manages to call uh he manages to call maddie and tell her to uh, hook up Solomon, A, with his family, and B, get that diamond traded real quick, because somebody mm-hmm. needs some money, and they're probably not Solomon. Uh, they He got some money. He got he got restitution, probably, like, I would assume, like, a couple million, five million, something like that. It's Whatever a, he was, I mean, quote, allegedly, unquote, he got promised. 200 pounds. I don't 200 know. pounds? No, no. 200 no. million pounds. Sorry. Okay, two, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like. Yeah, no, not 200 pounds. 200 million pounds. Okay, so he gets the so Archer does so uh, Archer does you know after all this you know movie of him being a bad dude he actually like comes through on his word for Solomon reunites him with his family and uh, gets Maddie her story all heroically while he dies on the side of a Sierra, Sierra Leone and uh, ridge yeah and that's the, that's Blood Diamond that's that's the best I could do. <laughs> Well, and the movie lets you know at the very end that Sierra Leone now is at peace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sierra Leone is at peace, if, if you didn't know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the Kimberly process has started. There was, there was a um, kind of in the in, in between this movie coming to life and then later on, you know, there was there was a vetting process done yes. that we'll get into later uh, just about how now all the major diamond distributors are you know holding themselves accountable and you know don't worry don't have to worry about these blood diamonds anymore yeah you can go worry about ask your your jeweler if these are blood diamonds and they have to tell you it's like beers i mean fake to beers whatever right without a yeah yeah (laughs) but it's like if you ask somebody they're a cop you know they have to tell you they got to tell you they're a cop they have to tell you that these are blood diamonds you know so that's <laughs> and then we get a and then we get a Nas song that is not as good as Diamonds from Sierra Leone, sadly. Mm, no, oh, yeah. don't worry, we'll we'll be talking about Diamonds from Sierra Leone. Oh, we will. <laughs> oh, we will. <laughs> well, speaking of, hey, I want to talk about a number of things. Yeah, I was about to say I, we got a plenty. We got plenty to talk about here. This movie made me really really sad yeah like i did not enjoy watching it neither did i and i think i don't i don't know i don't know because i'm trying to i'm trying to think of like when this movie came out you know what what the vibe was in terms of like you were saying shamira like africa and the way that people viewed africa i'm sure it was in line with a lot of that you know in respects to war-torn you know countries and you know like extreme poverty and you know child soldier like all of this stuff right like for context from a foreign policy perspective i know everyone thinks like the coney stuff started in 2012 but actually like the first wave of coney discussions happened around this time yeah 2006 yeah yeah Yeah. so this is around the time when everyone was talking about coney and his like child soldier army Mm -hmm. but the thing about this movie and i think Movies like this, and even listening to Zwick and DiCaprio and other people talk about 
how the film came together is you know there's an emphasis on on entertainment mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm. like these movies have to be at once like missives about these important topics and issues and almost like a call to action but also have to entertain mm-hmm. audiences but yeah. like the way that the action is depicted in the film is like innocent people minding their own business get gunned down like, over and over and over, over. And over it's again. literally like it, it, if you're going to an indiana jones movie to see like you know rubble explode and magic and stuff like that all the explosions and magic is villagers crying over their dead relatives <laughs> or watching multiple people they know shot right in point blank range like well, I, I think that's ugh. that's the thing like if you're watching like a james bond movie or a fast and furious movie or an avengers movie or yes. something that's a fictional story where sure. like you know these are quote-unquote minions who are just you know they're there to be blasted away and uh stormtroopers you know, yeah we're not supposed to think about it as opposed to like these are people that you're telling me to care about deeply and intently and i'm watching them be murdered just gratuitously ruthlessly then, by both the government and the rebel forces by the way and then you want me to th- care about whether or not leonardo dicaprio and jennifer Connelly are going to hook up like in the next scene it's like i'm still thinking about the, <laughs> the murder it's like the crux like, of their I, relationship too like leo and uh jennifer Connelly. like all they talk about is like maybe we could i don't know i don't know millions of people are dying but like what if yeah. we did it you know I'm like, it's just like <laughs> What? And it's just like this this dissonance between like you're you're telling me that these are people that it it's it's tra- it's a tragedy, you know what I mean? Like this right. is a horrible situation these people find themselves in and yet they're so often relegated to background, relegated to like the the only motivation that they have is to literally not be killed and shot or like have their hands chopped off like there's nothing else happening with the african people in a movie about africa set in africa like i was i was going over reviews and people talking about it like apparently there's no african women in africa like the the women in this movie like solomon's wife gets to cry yes she gets two lines and then she gets uh, to cry oh she gets two scenes she gets two scenes yeah, two scenes, but most of them are like, I'm watching my family be ripped right out from under me. Right. Yeah. So like, there's there's none of that, right? And even like, if we're talking about you know culture or even context, right? Because the thing about Captain Poison <laughs> and somebody real ass name you in know this movie, I mean? like all like he is a cartoon character. He's a cartoon villain right. of the <laughs> highest degree in the middle of a movie that takes itself very fucking seriously. It's obscene. Like yeah. it is. It is. He might as well be like fucking uh uh Doctor Doom. Like yeah, yeah. And to your point about the African woman, the only woman who outside of uh Jimon's wife, um, his character's wife is literally sex workers. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, who yeah. have HIV. And yeah, literally, yeah. like, like um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is like, oh, I've heard that one before. Like, yeah, bugger off, bugger off. <laughs> like, what? like, I'm not getting HIV from you, you dumb bitch. Like, <laughs> what? Like, yeah, this movie's treatment of like black women is 
some of the worst I've seen in some of these white savior movies or some of these movies that we've discussed in this podcast. Like this is, they're nameless, they're faceless, they're dead in the dirt. And it's like, if, if this is supposed to be Africa, this is supposed to be the place you want me to care about, you you don't know how to do that. <laughs> no, well, because even Solomon's story arc is really just him running around at the whims of other people. By the way, with a mental GPS of his son. <laughs> he knows exactly where the fuck he is at all times on the continent. Well, if if you want to take a step back and even just talk about just the random coincidences in this movie that are like the necessary plot points to keep it moving. One, when the RUF come in initially to Solomon's village, like they are indiscriminately murdering oh any of everybody. So yeah. the fact that he is not just shot and killed, but then they're about to cut his hands off and Captain Poison's like, wait. Not that one. <laughs> Take that one Good to the mines. Hands. <laughs> <laughs> them, them's mining hands. Mm. And then he gets taken to the mine when he's about to when he was when he's putting the diamond away. You know, Captain Poison runs up on him again, about to kill him. But coincidentally, there's a there's a fight that breaks out between the rebels and the army. As a screenwriter, it's like if you have this many coincidences going, like this, you just named two so far. By the way, yeah, this movie has more. many more, but like you've got to think like. Just a little too coincidental. Leo and Jaiman being in jail at the same time oh and just happened to overhear Captain Poison's like outburst about there being a diamond. And, and his like, whole name, by the way, Solomon yeah. Bandy, his whole name, <laughs> his government. You know, they just happened to find his son and mm-hmm. turn him into a child soldier. Like there's all of these things that are just like, yeah, I guess this is what we're going to put together to make a movie but again it's a movie honestly he finds the diamond that's fucking insane to me he didn't mark it with anything (laughs) it's a random hole in the dirt it just so happened that he dug a little further in the one hole he was digging in yeah he found it because he knows the soil he's an african (laughs) like like i don't understand the problem what are you not grasping i mean i feel like that's what ed zwick would say to me (laughs) so much is that like i don't like that that's so obscene like um, start with like I, I went back just like while we were talking to go to the first scenes of the movie like the literal screen like mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the bling text where they're just like Sierra Leone 1999 or whatever right mm-hmm. and it basically is like um, there's a raging civil war and like thousands of women and refugees are killed or whatever, right? None of them has ever seen a diamond and like been launched into like the brutalization or whatever, right? And it's like, it's just like proof positive, like how there's zero context as to like how, how Sierra Leone exists, right? How this conflict arise, why it's, why it lasted so long and like why the dot, why those minds specifically became the source of so much conflict, right? All those things are necessary. To right. So instead it's like these Africans just cannot stop killing each other, <laughs> <Stop>. right? So, <laughs> like, and that's why you need these humanitarians to get involved, right? And I'm sure in a moment we could talk a little bit about like actually like the history a little bit of Sierra Leone and sure. like mm-hmm. led there. And I and I'll keep that as brief as humanly possible. But um sure. like I think there's one or two things I, I wanted to just call out that I think are very um curiously ironic, right? Which is that there's this essay um um from Granta, right? Um by um 
this writer named Binyabanga Mwainaina, right? Um, and it's called How to Write About Africa, right? Um, and I think it's interesting, um, it's the Kenyan writer for the, for the record, right? Um, it's interesting because it ended up being um, turned into audio for YouTube, right? Um, and um, like in that audio for YouTube, actually, they actually had Jiman Hansu turn it into audio for YouTube. Um, and like, you know, like kind of mockingly, um, like read it to a white person, right? Which Ooh. I think like, you know, it was intentional to like kind of, you know, talk, call out like how people exploit Africa, but it's also like, Jiman, you do a lot of bad movies about Africa, Bro. right? But I wanted to just quickly read this like very, very brief passage. Um, yeah, sure. Which is, um, I think, speaks to some parts of this movie, right? Which is, your African characters um, may include naked warriors, lo loyal servants, diviners and seers, ancient wise men living in hermetic splendor, or corrupt politicians, inept polygamous travel guides, and prostitutes you have slept with. The loyal servant always behaves like a seven-year-old and needs a firm hand. He is scared of snakes, good with children, and always involving you in his complex domestic dramas. The ancient wise man always comes from a noble tribe, not the money-gubbing tribes like the Gikuyu, the Igbo, or the Shona. He has roomy eyes and is close to the earth. The modern African is a fat man who steals and works in the visa office, refusing to give work permits to qualified Westerners who really care about Africa. He is an enemy of development, always using his government job to make it difficult for pragmatic and good-hearted expats to set up NGOs or legal conservation efforts. Or he is an Oxford-educated intellectual turned serial-killing politician in a Seville Rose suit. He's a cannibal who likes Cristal Champagne, and his mother is a rich witch doctor who really runs the country. Um, so like, it just gives you a sense of like how many of these stereotypes have been played over and over and over again in literature and film and all mm -hmm. cultural media that literally we can predict it, right? You know, <laughs> like the, like there's such a manifestation of so many of these tropes down to the treatment of the woman, down to the betrayal of the violence against children, down to even Jimon's character's personification, right? As like, just like this, the staid style, you know, silent, you know, person who is, incapable of comprehending why this violence is happening, which is really the result of, you know, literally centuries of colonial impact, right? That right. turned into the proliferation of an illicit mining industry that then got exploited by the IMF, right? Which created such instability in that country. That is why, you know, they, they created like such civil unrest in that country, right? Like at that time, which they don't say, Sierra Leoneans were surviving on less than a dollar a day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's a lot that, that happened. And had been doing also, that for a decade, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, they also don't say, they don't make it clear or show there. Like they make it like the RUF was like so, um, you know, dominant and like the government was so incompetent. Like there were collaborative forces that were helping the government. Like the government pushed back the RUF in like a week after they came into Freetown around that time, right? So they make it like the, the government was so overwhelmed, had no resources. The mercenaries were the ones that were coming in and capitalizing off of everything. Those were all factors, sure, right? But like Sierra Leone was like basically held under a barrel by the IMF, which of course is, you know, Mm -hmm. by the United States, Japan, other, you know, major colonial empires, right? Um, uh, and they were being held over a barrel after Britain left in 1961, right? Um, which Sierra Leone, for people who don't know, was established um, in, I forget what year, either late 1700s or early 1800s, as it was supposed to be a 
free state for um, former British slaves and in the British West Indies. Um, and then literally um, the British like took it over from British abolitionists and then it became a colony again anyway. Colonize <laughs> like, um, is going to colonize. Right. Yep. And then in the 1960s, it got it, 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 its independence again. Um, and uh, And then like they went in and capitalists came in and took over the mines. Um, and that was how like companies like De Beers were capitalizing off of it, of creating artificial scarcity for things that are actually diamonds are just stones, my guys, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Um, uh, and uh, after they were trying to get help from the IMF to be financed, uh, you know, they devoured their currency, forced them to really take lean resources and not have enough resources for their people. And so Sierra Leone was effectively poor um, by product of the IMF, right? Which the IMF does do a lot of predatory lending policies in a lot of developing nations, the global South that is like well-known, right? So uh, yeah. a lot of that was the product of Western development and poor Western investing tactics for a company, for countries that need support. And that was what helped create the instability that created those conditions. But of course, but, but no, we don't need to know <laughs> Pro to conflict, they can't help but fight each other. And only they have no sense of actual luxury, you know, like they only want to fund war. Like that was the other thing, yeah. right? Like Captain Poison was the only person who like wanted to actually have nice things, which I thought well, it's, was like another bizarre sense of like indulgence, right? Like, well, here's, well, here's the thing too, guns. right? <laughs> like, this is, this is the, this is the crazy part. The several crazy parts. There's a layer of crazy happening, right? <laughs> because one, Captain Poison, if you didn't know any better, you would think he's the leader right. of the RUF, right? right? When in reality, <laughs> yeah, he's just a random guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, like, the RUF at, at multiple points in this movie is just a loose collection of children with guns, mm -hmm. a sophisticated army, like, pulling off, like, tactics and, and military, you know, like, uh, maneuvers, like, running up and like strategic strikes mm -hmm. and just like uh, captain poisons just like strike team like there's no like the more you describe them the more you make him sound like street fighter <laughs> also there's no sense of like um how much time has really elapsed right this movie yeah. seems like it's less than a week but it yeah. actually is like months they fly like several times between he went to south africa, africa and, yeah <laughs> He, he went from he went from Guinea to South Africa, bro. If if you don't know the continent, by the way, that's almost all the way north to almost completely all the way south. Yeah, like it has to be months because at some point, like after he leaves prison, it seemed mm -hmm. like Jimon's character was working at a hotel, I believe, right? Yeah. Right. Um, while he was still separated from his family, right? And we didn't know so, that he had got that job. He literally is like, what? He handles one piece of luggage, and you're supposed to assume everything yeah. about that, right? Right. <laughs> So it's like, like that level of separation, but he has no idea where his family is at the time. But I guess oh, he's yeah. still in his head has memorized the location of this mystical diamond. <laughs> he right? got GPS. It's he's so it. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Man, listen, I was bad at map quest directions. I don't know if the after game was just lost on me, right? But right. Yeah. you gonna tell me you just like, oh, the hole in the dirt in the middle of Sierra Leone? Yeah, I got you. I got you. Coordinates, everything. I got you. Um, well, <laughs> so like the amount of time because also just the amount of time for like his son to be indoctrinated into a you know army right. <laughs> hooked on process, drugs like and, a, like yeah. a level of trauma where he's so conflicted about his purpose in life right you know as opposed to like 
oh my god dad get me out of here this shit is scary right conflicted yeah. and also i've forgotten my father to the point right. where I, the next time I see him, a month later, by the way, or whatever, right. radicalized, just right. completely radicalized to the point I don't know his face anymore, which is like right. some right. deep, deep shit. If it's at all possible to do that, somebody's brain. Right. It's like that should be a level of you know, like indoctrination that takes years, right? Yes. Like not a, I don't know, a week. Captain Poison's he's, <laughs> he's got his ways, though. You know, what I mean, he's a criminal mastermind. And he gave him like, like keys, and... you know, and and what do you say? Like, oh, whatever. <laughs> snacks you want cds come on man there. i got out here top trading cards they're out here throwing dice <laughs> and drinking beer you know <laughs> i would totally i would totally kill my family for some tops right yeah it for makes some- him sound like like in the first ninja turtles movie where shredder's just like come hang out in this like skateboard arcade like right. i got whatever you want i got video games <laughs> and cookies bro i also love about this movie is the scoring because they like didn't want oh, to like, rap music right so they, they did right. like vague generic like this is a not tupac song you know what I mean? oh oh right. all the music all well i had it with the subtitles on so it was like uh what it would always say like rap music sung in their native language yeah, yeah. Like, like come on bro like, come no, on y'all just didn't want to pay licensing fees like be real be real because yeah, all the licensing money went to nas for that song at the end right, right. <laughs> well let's let's talk about i want to talk about leonardo dicaprio and and i want to i want to transition into this with just another observation that i made which was like leonardo dicaprio says a version of this captain poison says a version of this and I think somebody else also like intonates like, I need to get the fuck out of Africa. Yeah. Like I need to get out of here. Like I, it, this is a terrible place. God has left Africa. Like all these lines about how Africa is like the last place on earth you'd ever want to be. Meanwhile, Ugh. this is where Jemanazi lives. Yeah, <laughs> it is where he was born and raised. This I'm is like... his home. This is his, and the movie more or less ends with him you assume never being able to return. Yeah. He literally <laughs> says, sometimes I wonder, will God ever forgive us for what we've done to each other? Then I look around and realize God left this place a long time ago. And I'm like, first of all, to each other. That's a, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. what's we? You know, like, like well, there's a very strong a, use of the royal we here. There, yeah, there's a there part, though, because this is, this is the wild part, right? Like, mm-hmm. in that moment, I guess, after they're at the, the guy's house who's trying to help rehabilitate the children benjamin like no he, last name yeah he and he and jennifer Connolly are having this kind of like heart to heart and like he gets to describe in detail like how his family was murdered Whoa. by you know like south african revolutionaries and like you know they were like beheaded and like mm-hmm. hung like meat and like all this other stuff in a way that makes it sound as if like savages just rolled up on his home and like murdered his parents and he had no choice but to like join this child soldier group and like then go and murder people and then go murder other people. in another part of the country but he also talks about it like it's not exactly what they're trying to save india or what the yeah. what benjamin is literally de- dedicated his life to he doesn't talk yeah. about it in that sense like um, I'm just like them, which you are, Leo. Uh, right. But it, it, he talks about like savages. Well, he talks about like savages, and also as if like there's a clear delineation that they never get into about white Africans mm-hmm. and Africans, and mm-hmm. like he as you know, like they. It's not explicitly stated, but like the fact that he continues to call himself Rhodesian 
you know, even though Zimbabwe is not only a country, but like <laughs> it's 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 the equivalent of like somebody continuing to refer to themselves as like a Confederate soldier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like it's that energy of just like yeah. the South never lost. Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> like multiple we... um, levels of like expression of his level of racism, right? Um, yeah, and they aren't explicit about it. Um, like, I mean, they're explicit about it, but not explicit about like if you are a casual viewer, you will understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Rhodesia, um was ex- it, it expressed one. Him talking about like the revolutionaries killing his family is also another one as if like that is somehow comparable that's like when you know white cubans talk about how fidel castro like you know ran the power. like <laughs> well yeah you guys were the landowners that were literally keeping everyone in power like you know what i mean it's like yeah. at, yeah. like whatever, whatever your politics may be like at that time like yeah you guys are the bad people i don't know what to tell you like you know what i mean right. like um you know um Another one that I think goes over a lot of people's heads, if you don't understand it at the time, is when there's a moment when, so, you know, he's walking with Solomon um, and, you know, Solomon, of course, has that roving GPS looking for his son, mm-hmm. right? And so <laughs> he thinks he sees his son and he screams out, you know, Dia's name, right? And then, of course, it's that army of young child soldiers. Yeah. They almost get captured, right? And he goes, oh, you know, if that happens again, I'll peel your skin off. But he also in that moment calls him a kafir, right? And like yeah. here, like in so in Islam, kafir just means like non-believer, right? That's what what that mm-hmm. means, right? But in actual like South Africa and Southern Africa, that is essentially the equivalent of the N-word, right? Like it's actually banned to be mm-hmm. said in South Africa. That's how severe it is. Like if you like look on Twitter, you'll see they just call it the K word, right? Like mm-hmm. you are actually not allowed to say it. And they don't get into that really. Like no. you see that like, you know, Solomon beats him up or whatever, but they don't express right. like really like what you just called me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you know, and like that's like like the level and depth to that level of racism, right? Like to just be able to say that, like we're not just like out here just like having movies where oh we're just like we're dv people who are just calling people niggers right like you know yeah. I mean? like they don't i was about to say i was like <laughs> we just watched one last week also I mean, released by the same distribution company we're not gonna talk yeah, about that I either mean, though I, yeah I, i'm not saying that we don't i'm just saying that like we're not making that clear in the movie yeah we, not sure. definitely not in this movie which is sad yeah. because it's like the the politics or like the internal politics between uh social groups in africa mm-hmm. is very uh complex incredibly complex honestly from racism to uh tribal delineations and things like that and this movie honestly they're just like dialogue points in this movie like they're not interested in it they're not interested like earlier in the movie he argues oh there wasn't any apartheid when we were fighting we were side by side right it's like well motherfucker that's like why Mm. are you saying that shit right like (laughs) why do you have to say wild shit to your face they were like i mean look at like case in point charlie's the road let's go her twitter handle is charlie's africa like let's go like and like listen like love my action queen down whatever right i like yes. i love her in a b-level action movie i think it's amazing right like yeah. you know, that netflix will give her 20 million dollars to do nothing right old but, guard too let's go but simultaneously i'm like bitch you literally still have charlie's africa as your twitter handle like it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> like, and they will literally say that shit to your face like white zambians are crazy like, <laughs> like 
It literally, it's fit. They're only 15% of the country. They control 85% of the economy. And they will say that shit to your face. Like they'll say that to first gen Africans, be like, oh, I'm more Africanly. Like, who are you? You are a Brit. You are a Brit. <laughs> you won't even learn any indigenous languages. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you will sit there just speaking Afrikaans or whatever, right? And let's not even get it. Well, are we gonna yeah, get I mean, a legend South African or Southern African accent now, I guess? Like, because I don't even know what that was. Like we've got you covered, because first of all, right? And you don't even go here. Like that's right? that's the, the energy. energy. That's the energy. <laughs> right. Like they don't talk about like how any of that came to be like it seems like he's just there like leonardo DiCaprio was just dropped into the situation africa you know what i mean like cut off from any actual history or context like he's just circumstantially like, circumstantially like, white <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i mean like like and that's i think that's the thing that like is a reoccurring instance of this movie is like there's no so there's no mention of colonialism and no mention of how basically in so many of these instances like not only did all these colonial countries just like oh so you you don't want us anymore oh we'll leave you know and like (laughs) you won't have shit and you know deal with that but also like the intentional continuing even though they've left the country you know in terms of like they, they don't have any legal stake in it anymore right they still are constantly meddling in the affairs of these countries meddling in the mm-hmm. elections supplying you know weapons as we see in this movie um and just like making it very difficult for countries to receive the things that they need to become fully functioning autonomous countries you right. know what i mean like they have a vested interest in making sure that yes you are rich with all these resources and we're going to get them. Right. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we, even though you are not a colony of us anymore, how do we make sure that we are still profiting off of you? And in the name of sure Her Majesty. That, yeah, making sure that you, because there's, there's a line, I think, when Jaiman is walking with, you know, just a villager and, you know, he's like, God forbid they find oil here. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, because like, what would that be like, I was the one people lied in that movie. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, at least he said one thing decent. Not to get on my right. Walter Rodney, you know. <laughs> no, no, for real, because it's like the it's the black Dell test in this movie, you know. Yeah, it's like yeah. one or two people actually don't talk about that, some real issues. That's real shit, though. Like, yeah. when are they going to talk? One or two black people, one or two Africans, going to talk to each other about like the politics of what these white people who are, they're dragging around, by the way, right. are right. like <laughs> are actually doing to them. And right, thank right. God this movie had that scene because, like, otherwise it would be almost devoid of, like, any autonomous thought by, like, the African people other than, like, you know, searching for their son or searching for a diamond I left. Right. You know? Just trying not to die. Just trying not know, to die in daily this, life. It, it really, they really do seem like, again, I mean, this is, like, the case in all these movies, but second class characters in their own story. In their own country. In their own country, <laughs> in their own story. It's, like, it's wild to see. They're just a backdrop for, like, basically yeah. redeeming the white saviors, right, and 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 everything, right? Like even Jennifer Connelly's exploitative, you know, project. Right. About, oh boy. And and they, and they have to like make her. Right? Yeah, they have to like make her realize that what she's doing is exploitative because otherwise she wouldn't like she wouldn't think of it as such. Right. Let's right. let's let's and talk about. Yeah. Oh, one thing I want to mention though is yeah. um, when Leo speaks 
Creole? Like, yeah. Can, can, <laughs> I, can I tell you that I have that queued up for us to listen to? <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'll pause. I'll wait for that because I was like, I want to report this to like the NAACP or somebody. I don't know who I need to report this to. This is a mix. So this is that scene. So we're going to hear a little bit of his South African accent. Okay. And then we're going to hear a bit of his Creole. Oh, and when he started doing it, I was like, did he just forget how to talk? Or First, no, I thought he's... it was like, is this dubbed? Because I have Sierra, like, you know, uh, Sierra Leonean friends. So I know what Cleo sounds like. So I was like, I hope this is like a bad dub. And I was like, oh, yeah, no. no. That's <laughs> what he right, said well, to that man's face. Let's listen up. Bye. Right, I've seen your films, huh? <laughs> I'm looking for Commander Zero, huh? He's inside. You talk to me. You are here to help us in our struggle against the government. I'm here to do business with Commander Zero, all right? This no fine, huh? This no fine. Nah. This no more you get. Pumui! There it is, there it is. can use one all rotten AK them against them government troop and their new weapons them, huh? Maybe I could just kill you and take away what you bring back. Then you get one more dead body instead of aeroplane way full with grenade launchers. Something I go go to them government, huh? Then government at least then go pay me, huh? Oh. <laughs> God damn, that's cringe. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio will tell you he spent months working on that accent like that was the the thing he did the most you know out of everything else was was the accent getting his south african accent down getting his creole down i guess but like no uh. right <laughs> people do people understand like, like you could just speak back in english because creole is basically that minus the french parts yeah, like it's like Sierra Leoneans understand English, so you can speak English. But and- bruh, it's it's also like it's the number one language in, well, in Sierra Leone because there's a contextual element left out of that too, right? Because like watching it, he just does it, like it's, he just you know what I mean. Like it. there's not like a because the, the 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 person he's talking to isn't speaking Creole. They're just speaking mm-hmm. English back to Also him. that. It's so cool, but it's not like so crazy where like, it's like, oh no, like, like, you know, I have friends who are like elders who speak like, you know, Creole and it's like, okay, they don't mm-hmm. speak English well. Yeah. Like, but right. you can speak English. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's an English-based Creole. Like, you know, it's, it's not like something where it's so far removed where like they would not understand. It's just so bizarre where they act like he would not be able to just respond in English. And he it, never does it's more it of a dialect. Yeah, he, he yeah. also never does it again the whole movie. <laughs> it's just that one wild-ass scene. And it's like, <laughs> you could, ju- and what's the worst part about it is that it's fucking subtitled. It's like, right. yeah. they subtitle it to, it's like, he's you mean the words that he's saying you mean oh those are the words that he's saying like the exact same words but it's also- it's so bizarre it's like so for example i speak french right and like mm. well, i live in a haitian neighborhood i don't speak haitian creole by any means right but i can understand a lot of haitian creole right i i never respond back like i've learned for like the sake of community building or whatever just like learn to like understand like speak a few yeah. phrases but i'm not gonna go out of my way to like whatever it's like it's just for the point of un- understanding and comprehension and, and and that's about it right it's like i'm not going to be offensive about it you know it's, if it's, i ever went down notion avenue and talk like that i'm gonna get my ass beat <laughs> <all right? laughs> exactly. you know like 
like just like why would you do that <laughs> why would you do it why they, they would even be like why are you doing that why are you yeah, talking like that but it's like right. that's an intentional choice that for everybody sure. in the film is making because they mm. feel like it adds a level of authenticity wherein mm. it really is very distracting for one and unnecessary because like it adds nothing to the film like i don't think anybody watched it specifically africans and were like i appreciate you putting that in there well from a screenwriting standpoint it's like he doesn't do it again so it's not this moment where you're like oh well maybe he speaks creole and it'll help him in a situation where he's like trapped you know later down the line no he just does it because he wants to do it yeah because they want to show he wants to be fucking racist Gmon's character i don't think speaks creole at all he does not (laughs) he speaks mende which is his indigenous language and then english but no creole right like and people were even getting on 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 jimon because they were like well that's his accent is also not like regional like he's just speaking like he normally he's just being him so yeah because he's from I, I feel like I feel like there's a little bit of like he got the set and he was like, all right, let's start. And also like Jimon, you worked on that. You know what? Don't even worry about yeah. it. Don't even worry about it. You just do you. Yeah, be you. You right. just do you. So but let's get it, let's get into both Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Connolly, and the idea of a white love story being a centerpiece of a movie about conflict diamonds and political unrest and revolution in an African country because it is wild to watch them flirt. There's a whole, there's like a, like minutes, like at least four minutes of them dancing together. Uh, so bizarre. <laughs> there are, and it's like pretty shortly after everybody dies. Yeah. The, like I was going to say like, yeah, we, we see, we explicitly see the bartender that Leonardo DiCaprio's friends with murdered, and dead like we have to see a close-up yeah. of his his dead face uh, i really so- thought the exact same thing when i saw it i was like we had to see that damn he could i could have just been like uh he probably died or he probably got and out of there either way you had to know he was dead you had to know. <laughs> i want you to know but they're they're both like the the movie posits it as like jennifer connelly is bringing him closer to good or at least right. like her side. And he yeah. is kind of sort of making her realize that what she does is also not, you know, purely innocent. Yeah, from each other. But at the end of the day, like they're both using Solomon for their own. You know what I mean? Like she's taking pictures of him crying being reunited with his family multiple Bro. times. Okay, Bro. she does it when when he reunites at the refugee camp, you know, and then again through her long ass telephoto lens when he's setting up the British right. diamond, you know, exporter. And so it's like she's she's using his story and his his tragedy to sell to whatever newspaper or magazine that she's working for. She like has this bizarre moment where before they get to uh, Benjamin's house, like all of these people who are basically there to ensure that nobody gets through, like she just starts talking to them and she's like, Hey, you know, we'd love to get some pictures of you. Why don't you all just kind of like get close, take, take a picture with me, you know? And like the (laughs) soldier is kind of like 
what is this white woman doing? Yeah. And I think part of it is I'm letting you know that I'm an American. And if you do anything to me, like, that's bad You'll for have you. hell to pay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's not even like she's just innocently walking through the like she's she's very cognizant of being a of white american power. woman yeah in, in africa yeah, sure. you know and like how that and, like, benefits her like when they try to send her away she literally goes oh do other countries know that you guys are here right yeah like oh damn better leave her alone yeah. it's like mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like all right she's being a white woman okay <laughs> 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 like, like there's so many like parts of that that are just like super frustrating to watch for like so many different reasons yeah. um even her acknowledging that like when she's trying to be indignant to him and she's like before this i was in afghanistan and then i was in bosnia and like look at like the way that afghanistan has been you know abused and and and, and now in like literal crisis mm-hmm. right you know where um the u.s has like held so much of the country's funds right and um, like literal swaths of the country are um like to the point that um people are selling organs, right? Because they need to be able to feed their family, right? And so um, it's like, so what are we doing in Afghanistan? Just like writing exploitative stories so that Afghans (laughs) before you came here? Like, you know, so great that you know all these like basic global history facts, right? Like, (laughs) like, you know, you were writing these terrible ass profiles because I remember all that reporting, you know, that what happened about Afghanistan or like the woman of Iraq, right? That would happen. I don't know if you guys remember, that podcast from New York Times Caliphate, right? Yes. Um, wow. Recently was reported about literally being rooted in inaccurate facts, right? And New York Times refused to take down the podcast. They just said, oh, we acknowledge that there was some um, inconsistencies here. I'm like, the bitch lied. <laughs> You're the New York Times. Yeah. She yeah, lied, fam. Like, you, and you guys put actual women who live there, their lives at risk, like, you know what I mean? Like that's so dangerous, right? For the sake of high profile journalism. And you guys got a fucking Pulitzer for that shit. Like that's so scary, right? And that's the yeah. kind of industrial complex that Jennifer Connelly's character participates in, right? The sake of getting the high profile story without actual care for the people right. that participated in it, right? And there's no real acknowledgement of, oh shit, like actual safety matters, right? Like actual there's actual consequences of the work that I do, right? There's a sense of, oh, I can't do anything here, right? Or yes, mm-hmm. it's supportive, but not like there's actual real world implications. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my reporting could now put minors, right? Who are still going to have to live in Sierra Leone in really precarious conditions if I don't anonymize my sources, if I don't think through the ethics of maybe Solomon's family that probably goes beyond his wife and children, right? You know, I don't think through who I name and how I name it, if I don't put things through with care. Instead, I'm just going to take photographs or whatever, write this long magazine and act like that's the end all be all, you know? She published pictures of his face. Exactly. And, you know I mean? and she, she she more or less made him testify in Kimberly. Yeah. Like she was like, and now you have to go here and speak to these white people right. and tell them what's going on. And the thing about stuff what, like that is, you know, when, pe- when certain kinds of reporters are really into the big sensation, I, I tell this, you know, I think now it's more of a rep- industry standard and still it's much slower. Like places like uh, C- uh, Columbia Journalism Review and like Neiman Labs talk more about it. But like the idea of trauma-informed reporting or just like getting, being more and informing your sources more about consent. um, So you're not just chasing communities for no reason. Like 
I've written longer investigative reports or, or worked with more of that kind of stuff um, from time to time. And it's like, you have, I think you have an ethical obligation really to, when you speak to, let's say survivors of assault or like work on bigger things with regards to like immigration stories or things like that. But people are coming to you with very sensitive stories that are very affecting to their livelihood. I think the least you should do is tell them, listen, we can work on the story. I'm here to support you. Um, that said, you should know that there's a real risk that this will transform your life, right? Maybe this story doesn't go viral. Maybe this doesn't go everywhere, right? But possibly your abuser might realize, even if we anonymize a story, that you're talking about them, right? Or mm -hmm. it's possible that this goes everywhere and your community really reacts badly to what you're talking about because mm. they didn't want this to be everywhere. You know what I mean? Especially mm -hmm. if you're against a major corporation, if you're trying to you know, become a whistleblower for something, these things are very dangerous, right? I've written stuff about ICE, right? You know what I mean? These things are are very scary when you're going up against major institutions, major institutional systems that have tons of legal resources, right? Um, mm -hmm. You might not. So I think these sorts of um, conversations are things that we're not had. She's like, I'm just gonna sit here and take pictures. First of all, how the fuck did she get on that airstrip? I don't know. <laughs> how did she, let, let's, let's just break down this scenario because it blew my mind the way that this movie ended where solomon is taking the place of uh leonardo dicaprio sure yeah as like the the fence for this diamond and so he he goes up to vandeveer and it's just like i got the diamond give me the money and vandeveer's like how do i know you have the diamond and he's like you don't i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> you know until i get what i want how, how how in the world somebody like that you know who is seemingly not concerned about anything mm -hmm. right like people are following solomon back to his hotel oh yeah they're yeah. waiting for him yeah he's gonna be on a lot very me. quickly you know i mean he is not they're just taking that shit from him. Yeah. They're not paying him money. Mm -hmm. They're not finding his family. They're not doing because what is Jennifer Connolly going to do? Right, alive very quickly, and she's going to do a and she's going to do like a CNN tour about like my friend Solomon. You know what I mean? Who oh, disappeared by you know right. like diamond export. And then she you gets like I mean? a, a Nobel Peace Prize or whatever or a Pulitzer <laughs> right. about writing about her friend Solomon. <laughs> Because the, the way that he was able to leverage and extort those people, you know what I mean? Right. It's just like, I don't think they're not only everything in this movie, we're stretching credulity and just like reality, but like that part especially was like, because I don't even know if Leonardo DiCaprio could have pulled that shit off. But all you of a sudden, <laughs> uh, Solomon is a master negotiator. A master negotiator, but also somebody that like, they're like, we have to take this african man that we've never met before that has no protection or connection or you know what i mean like he just showed up telling us he has a diamond the idea okay is supposed to be, i guess which they don't plot out or chart out whatsoever right is that like solomon goes through this maturation process by way of civil conflict right yeah like, yeah witnessing civil conflict and hanging with two white people for an right. elongated period of time because like literally he goes like oh you know um, 
I know that white people love this, but us black people do this to our own people or whatever. By the end, yeah. he like physically kills Captain Poison, right? Bro, like, it's just you know? crazed and like bashes his head in. Yeah, it's, it's that's just, why he got hired. A, you know that, right? He, he got hired. He's well, like, could, the audition was literally, could you just like smack the ground really hard for like, just scream, scream as hard as you can? I, I just want to see it. I want to feel that moment. Yeah. I mean, as an aside, I will give Jivan. He does his thing. Because I feel like it's, Shamira, we've had this conversation before on the show about why white people love Jaiman mm-hmm. and like what, why he keeps getting cast in this role mm-hmm. repeatedly. And I think it's because he scares them, but if they can befriend him, the scary one, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Then anything's possible, they, right? The, and so yeah. like there's... There's the idea of like, oh man, you know, like under the scary, dark skinned African man is like a, <laughs> a teddy bear. <laughs> uh, yeah, like some some kind of like if we could just get to know him, mm-hmm. you know, like he he doesn't mean us any harm at right. all. Right. Like this like, naive brute, right? Just this yeah simple humble fisherman who then now becomes wise into like the brutality of the world, right? And so yep. now he is like, I'm just going to do anything for my family, but doesn't care for his country anymore at all, apparently, no. right? <laughs> I I have to assume they never come He's back. He's not going back. No. I think they get 200 million pounds and just live in the UK, which like- Yeah, around his probably- colonizers. Yeah. Right, that's what I was going to say. I mean, they make it seem like he he lives happily ever after. I don't- think right. that's true <laughs> also say that Sierra Leone is not peace again institutionalized colonial post-colonial poverty is peace I guess like Ooh, yeah <laughs> the, the way they just say Sierra Leone's at peace I'm like what do you mean yeah. by peace I was gonna say that despite him um being a cartoon villain I think one of the more point poignant lines in the movie was actually said by Captain Poison. I cannot believe mm. he sounds, you know what he sounds like? He sounds, okay, before I actually say the line, <laughs> Captain Poison sounds like a character in like a commercial about cereal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, as in like Lucky Charms or whatever, we're like, <laughs> like a big bit, like where Captain Poison were trying to steal Lucky Charms or some fucking shit like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a, like a dare character. character. Yeah, a, a, a dare character. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> some idea of like a, a ridiculous villain who really likes cereal and here comes the luck of yeah. the Like, I feel like if this uh, polio in New York thing got any worse, like, I feel like I'd be saying, like, MTA, yeah, God forbid. But also, yeah, I feel like yeah. the MTA would definitely, like, release little bits of, like, hey, exactly, just exactly. stay away from Captain Poison and standing bits yeah. of, and standing pools of water. Yeah. Do not get Eric Adams, like, any ideas. Like, oh, not- God. When City I got swag. You- City got swag. That man has literally lived to be this mixie. I cannot, I cannot. Eric Adams is Captain Poison, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, what I was going to say was that (laughs) Captain Poison said, you think I'm a demon, but it's only because I've lived in hell, right? Yes, yes. And I Mm -hmm. thought that line was useful. The only thing was that I think the context they were applying it with was that like Africa is inherently hell. Right. The fact that like, the experience is that like colonialism and everything else, like the application of all the time up until now, like how 
all of those contexts of the traumas and the violence, yes, people are literally in hell. It's like how people think in America that Black people are inherently violent and they create all these scare, you know, fear-mongering tactics about like the inherent violence of Black people. Oh my God, mm-hmm. it's so scary in New York right. now, crime everywhere. It's like, people are in poverty. People are starving. There's no jobs. Yeah. People who get arrested and charged with crimes indefinitely or whatever and pushed towards plea deals, they cannot get jobs and go to college and become whatever right like and all of a sudden you wonder why niggas are out here doing goofy shit like 100 percent. no one like I mean? this, this hell you speak of is like not a making of your own like you don't right, understand exactly. like yeah. how it came to be it's just like oh my god i can't believe we live amongst these savages right, like, right, right. bro yeah. like you created the situation right <laughs> you exactly. yourself exactly but then they'll simultaneously use the great royal we right because then like of course, yeah danny will say stuff like oh or i think it was a danny was the other captain who was like oh the red earth it's in our skin you know um, the shit um, it's like you're not shona like what are you talking about bro right? yeah well and then you know leo's death scene where like his blood drips into the soul oh my right. god like, like the the worst I visual metaphor i've ever like I, it might have been the worst visual metaphor because it's like I, I mean, I've seen movies where you got callbacks, it's like stuff like that, but like never this obvious. Like this was. Right. And I was like, no, he's a white man. What are y'all doing here? I know. I was like, as he as he gripped the earth, I was like, nigga, get your hand off that earth. But he <laughs> also like spent the whole movie telling us how much he hated Africa. He called man a cave. He called man a kafir, like to his face. Right. And like this, just this idea. I heard him ill of it. <laughs> well, because Benjamin. And and Danny have a conversation in which Benjamin basically alludes to the fact that, you know, one good deed can kind of like redeem a man's entire life, which was like, bruh, you, you see how the whole movie, even up until the end, right? Like he is constantly using everybody and anybody around him, which usually includes Solomon, <laughs> to get what he wants whenever he wants he has no qualms about it he doesn't like african people he doesn't like black people you know to the movie's credit they yeah they acknowledge that he is like out for himself right but then he gets to do one thing right we don't we're not going to talk about all the the lives that he destroyed all the family he's he probably tore apart he shot child soldiers in in the in the fight to uh get dia out of there he shot like three yeah, of them, yeah. right? Actually, there's a that scene is like pointed out. It's made uh point of that he shoots the two soldiers in front of Dia and then Dia sees that and runs in the opposite direction. Yeah. Right. As a normal reaction. Like right. legit. Right. <laughs> but then even even in the scene before where like Benjamin conveniently is rehabilitating these children and then of course is murdered by these children in a symbolic act of <laughs> this movie's politics like, are like it's wild because the movie thinks the politics like when it has scenes like this when like a child soldier shoots benjamin in the face or like uh uh, uh leo shoots like those two soldiers in front of dia it's like yes we're we're also you know acknowledging how horrible this is but not acknowledging the largest the larger scale pieces that are put into play to make yeah. the situation like it right. is right right it's like literally the only good thing that man did in that movie was at the last second be like well since you know solomon literally put me on his back and tried to carry me up a mountain <laughs> yeah. maybe he deserves to go on that helicopter since i'm going to die anyway like right. i was not going to survive that helicopter ride too giddy like what yeah. 
Well, like, and that it's, is, and it's, like, what are we talking about? Like, it is, wild. but he gets, he gets the whole, like it, it, that last sequence for him is maybe 10 minutes. Like it's a, it's a long drawn out death sequence where he gets to call Jennifer Connelly and like gets to have this whole conversation and like, you know, gets to longingly look at the dirt and like bleed into it and like all of this stuff. <laughs> and the idea is that he is changed. Forget everything else that you saw and just remember mm-hmm. these last 10 minutes of his life. And like, that's who he is now where it's like, that's literally not how it works for anybody, but also the, the, the you get to redeem yourself in the final moments of your life completely. Yeah. Well, in the but, but like that, his transgressions and like everything that led him to that moment are now void because he helped one person. But when you probably add up the amount of people that he like, irrevocably ruined their lives you know (laughs) it's like these two things don't add up you know so he can't ride off and be the hero i i guess they would tell you that ultimately you know solomon is the hero of the movie but it really is archer's story from start to finish solomon's just kind of there to add some spice to it and like intrigue about a diamond but really you know he's like secondary his whole his whole quest to find his family and like escape this tragic situation is really just secondary to whether or not the whole movie hinges on is archer going to do the right thing really that's what blood diamond is about Mm, like mm, if mm -hmm. he if he does it you know because you're the expectation is that he will not right so Mm -hmm. when he does you know it's like a it's like it's, it's a twist that kind of makes you go, wow, you know, what a great character transformation. But just a seed ago, he was like, yeah, that's his son over there. Like, if you Bruh. if you threaten to murder him, then you'll get what you want. You know what I mean? And he looks at Solomon like, all in the gay, baby. I don't know what you want yeah, me to yo, do. <laughs> the, look, the, the, the sad look like, oh, yeah, I got to give up your son. Like, shut up. How dare you, bro? You know. Like I would not pick you up after that. I'm sorry, you can die. No. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Up a mountain. <laughs> like, are you carried him on his back up a mountain? Like that moment where he's like hanging off the cliff, I would very much be like Star in the Lion King. Like, <laughs> like, are you kidding me, nigga? Like, no. And, and he would be like, brother, <laughs> brother, <laughs> bro. bro. Yeah. <laughs> Dia rightly points a gun at him because he just saw him murder two other children. Oh my god! And and rat him out to multiple people. So I feel like I was like halfway like Dia, you you know what to do. Come on, just uh... <laughs> um. But if, if we want to quickly transition into the behind the scenes of this movie, I think really the 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 thing that makes so much of this frustrating, right, is that I I think when you look at Edward Zwick's filmography, um, I was saying this before we came on, like, really what it amounts to is, like, he's always pointing the camera in the wrong direction, right? Like, if he would just go a little bit to the left, you know, in glory, 
a little bit to the left in <laughs> in Last Samurai, a little bit to the left of this movie, you know, and pointing at the the people of color in this film uh, that the story is actually about. Like it's a better movie, right? But we can debate Hollywood politics. Like he will tell you, and I'm sure a lot of people will tell you that you got to have these white stars right like these movies don't get made if you don't have a leonardo dicaprio if you don't have a tom cruise you know like these movies kind of need that hook but it's very strange to see just how just how much of like a reputation he's garnered in terms of being like this epic director that like tells these incredibly deft and like nuanced stories where like this is really just an action movie full stop yeah oh yeah (laughs) it's really just like it might as well be rambo like it might as well be rambo and like yeah because the action they they they're evading bullets like the whole time yeah like the people who are eating those bullets are sadly the people of those nations yeah and the personality done isn't even artfully done i remember watching like the few moments where i could like, because there were moments where I just was like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But then when I even like push myself to like engage and look in, um, this is gonna sound so weird to say considering what is actually being depicted. But the moment where like they chop like children's arms, Ugh. it's like so poorly done from like an actual special effects point. You know what I mean? It's like it's so clear that it's not actually. <laughs> like a child's arm yeah, yeah. Like, like damn like y'all spent a hundred million dollars and you couldn't even get good props like it's literally like no. they they do the chop and they literally do an edit right. and then they come back and it's like they pull the fake arm away so quick that you don't even get to like see the brutality of it right. they're just like the camera's shaking so hard right. and you barely see the prop for five seconds that right. you just have to assume it was disgusting and horrible right i'm like guys if you were actually to like amputated arm it would be like blood everywhere blood bloody and difficult because there's bone attached and all that stuff meanwhile like i'm just watching mass amounts of mothers get shot down in front of their own children just like families ripped apart just like it's the wildest shit and yet when it comes to like the real actiony parts of the sequences or like the real like moments of terror in this adventure movie as it was built on Amazon to me when I rented it this afternoon. Mm. Like, wow, wow. (laughs) Adventure. It was an adventure, y'all. Oh my gosh. We had a rollicking good time. It's supposed to be, you know, like there's moments where Regimen's supposed to be the cameraman and there's like a joke happening somewhere. Yeah, there's like like bits of comedy in there. Yeah, so I just checked with Netflix and it has it under, of course, social commentary and drama, but then it also has it under action and adventure, like it has uh, Amazon. And then it says this movie is exciting. (laughs) Like, Well, that's the thing, though. That's Zwick and DiCaprio. You know, we're talking with Oprah and talking with a lot of other people. And so much of it comes down to this movie has to be exciting. This movie has to be, you know, something that gets people you know to care but my question is did this movie and look we're not saying that blood diamond should have been like the end-all be-all that like ended (laughs) the diamond trade like did all this other stuff like that's not the responsibility of one single film and sure there's 
always going to be levels of inaccuracy within you know a big budget hollywood film like this like it's not a documentary it's not a movie that necessarily has to get everything right a thousand percent but you know there's certain things that i feel like specifically now you know looking back on it like not so much so one of those things specifically is the uh kimberly process certification scream right which is like this big thing that they bring up at the end of the movie that would lead you to believe that progress has been made in terms of how you know diamonds are certified and cutting down on blood diamonds right because a lot of what they'll tell you is that like it's it's such a small percentage of the actual diamond trade you know what i mean like it's five percent or something like that of like the entire diamond trade but when you look at how this works like it's more or less a like self-reporting system and so like the onus is put on the diamond companies to self-report where these diamonds are coming from and like all of this information which as we've seen with I don't know, let's say police or politicians or <laughs> a lot of different places when you say, yeah, you you investigate you, you know, you check in on you and make sure that you are doing the right thing. Not really working. Right. And in 2009, Ian Simile of the Canadian based NGO partnership, African Canada, who is one of the founding members of the Kimberley process, resigned his position, accusing the regulator of failing to regulate and saying he could no longer contribute to the pretense that failure is success. Right. Multiple other founding members of the Kimberley process have resigned and stepped away and in turn have said this is not doing anything. Right. Because like while you would like to think that not only did things change after let's say a big Hollywood movie, but also we didn't get to talk about, you know, Kanye's verse, uh, diamonds in Sierra Leone, right? Like all the, there was a moment where like, this was like a big thing. This was that moment. Uh, that song came out in like, Oh, six. Not just Kanye's verse, but Jay's verse. Cause the remix was huge. Right. Yeah. And that, and that is kind of like, you know, this, this moment where people are like, yeah, maybe I should like look into where these diamonds are coming from. And all that stuff. And it hasn't really had that impact because when you think about stuff like Flint, Michigan, when you think about stuff like Haiti, when you think about stuff like Katrina, like people have these moments of like hyper awareness and then we just look away, you know, or we think, oh, well, that's I I contributed whatever money I contributed or I did whatever I did. And like that's over now. Or something else has grabbed my attention, right? And I feel like that is a lot of what happened with these conflict diamonds. Um, Because now, even in 2019, like, Tiffany finally started instituting steps to, like, ensure that people knew where the diamonds were coming from. So now when you go to Tiffany, like, they will have the country of origin next to, you know, the diamonds that you're purchasing. And even that is kind of like, I guess I trust Tiffany to be honest with me and tell me <laughs> what's happening. Wherein, when you try to look up a lot of the stuff, the reason things can get confusing is because the diamond industry ran a huge counter offensive to this movie in particular, but then all of the accusations about blood diamonds and conflict diamonds. And so, like, 
I was reading something and like quickly realized, oh, this is like an actual Diamond Company's write up about like everything that's happening. And it's very much just propaganda. Right. And so not to be Kyrie Irving. Right. But like, <laughs> I think there's 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 stuff where obviously things are I wouldn't say because that's the thing. Right. Like people like Kyrie and conspiracy theorists will try to tell you that oh no like you have to go to page seven of of google search to really get you You gotta go to my discredited niggas that you're (laughs) that you're looking for but it it is true in the sense that yes like this information while readily available maybe isn't like right in front of you right like they're not necessarily advertising horrible atrocities that are happening in order to get you diamonds because we all know right like amazon is a terrible company that does terrible things and has terrible labor practices and is the number one company (laughs) in america for so many things and we know what's happening and yet we still participate in it when we get our amazon packages or watch lord of the rings or you know myriad of other things that we do right and so i feel like Yes, you have to be conscious of of what you're doing, right? Like, there's no way to necessarily, like, exist in a capitalist global society, right? And just say, my hands are clean. Like, I (laughs) am not contributing to to any of this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. But at the same time, like, you you can be conscious of where your money is being spent and what companies Mm -hmm. are doing. And hold them accountable, right? And I and I think that's really what this movie is trying to say. But all I could think about was like, y'all killed a lot of people, <laughs> you know, in the making of this movie. Like, there's just so much death and just like really like talking about Africa as if it's just like this this place that. Like you're saying, what are you going to do about it? You know, it's just, it's a horrible place where people kill people and, you know, there's a lot of diamonds there and, you know, I guess they're just going to fight forever instead of just like, here's some actionable things that you, the viewer who just watched this movie could do do. or even consider. And so I, I feel like, again, I'd like to come back to the question of like, did, did Blood Diamonds do anything else but sensationalize a real situation like right. you know what was there anything that that this movie said that you know now watching it you know a decade or so later like yeah like we look at it and say well i could see what the message was or does it really feel just like hey there was a moment in time where this was like the thing on everybody's mind and everybody's lips and so like we made a big hollywood film about to it. kind of capitalize on that moment. but we also like when they make that movie they end up kind of <coughs> perpetuating the idea that was already out there, which is like, okay, this is horrible. This is terrible. But you're still going to buy diamonds. No one's going to stop that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I bring it back to the Kanye song. Uh, and Ka- Kanye's verse in that song is literally just, like, he, like, literally just every other bar is literally, like, it's horrible, but I'm going to still throw up my piece, you know? Like, what... what uh, <laughs> I thought my Jesus piece was so harmless, but then I saw a picture of a shorty armless and here's the conflict. Like, bro, like, okay, right. yes. 
you see you see your misgivings that you're having right but you're not really in his verse he's not saying anything that could be done other than like i'm still gonna rock that goal i'm still gonna rock that ice at the end of the verse, he even goes, like, you can still throw up your Rockefeller diamonds tonight. Like, bro, like, you're not helping the situation. This movie is not helping the situation. Me seeing thousands of slain Africans over the course of two and a half hours just so Leo can die on a, like, ridge in Sierra Leone is, like, it doesn't help me. It doesn't help them. It, 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 it's, it ends up being, like, a zero-sum game. You know what I mean? It's, like, the same yeah. thing with the, 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 the 80s coke trade the 80s uh, in mm-hmm. the crack epidemic that uh, there ensued, it's like, okay, the right. government brought the coke in. They created the drug wars. They created the situation. And literally, we created a culture out of that. So everything that happened is like not, ne- it's like just as bad as it is good. But what mm-hmm. are we going to do about it? No, we're not going to do nothing about it because it's created the world that we live in and we like the world that we live in. Yeah. Right. I think, you know, to focus on Dino Sierra Leone a little bit and to bring it all together. Come on, it's a hot song. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. So, um, Jay's verse, right? Yeah. Lean heavily into that. And it's actually like constantly quoted, right? Because like Jay's verse is where you have the, I'm not a businessman. I'm, I'm a businessman. Business so, like, everyone constantly references it, even if people don't know that it's from that song, mm-hmm. right? And he constantly, you know, I mean, like, you know, he talks about my chain, these eight conflict diamonds. He references Jacob or whatever, all these. Mm-hmm. And like for people to understand, like, like just on a high level, like with diamonds, like diamonds are just rocks, y'all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. You can literally like, like to under for people to understand, like you can just have them made now, like in a lab, right? Yep. You can have lab made mm-hmm. diamonds and they look exactly the same. You can't tell the difference between clarity and color or whatever, mm-hmm. unless you literally have someone go into a microscope, like like no average eye is gonna be like, oh, you had a lab made diamond, fuck you. So like, that's the coolest, uh... like, a, a conflict-free diamond you should get, which is I highly encourage if you are into diamonds versus like moissanite or whatever, just get a lab made diamond, right? <laughs> like, done and done. Um, Right. Uh, so that's like the closest thing I would say to encourage like and and not do that, even though like there's arguments over like, well, there's still people in the mines, but whatever. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you really want a conflict free diamond, that means a lab made diamond. Right. Yeah. Don't like think, yeah. oh, yeah, this was in a mine. It's a conf- no, no. It's it's like there's no such thing as like, you know, unexploited of chocolate, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Like all right. chocolate right. is like done through slave labor. <laughs> right. Like um, but uh, with that. Like focusing on Jay's verse, and then you fast forward to now, where Jay and Beyonce are living in the space of the Tiffany Tiffany. Mm kit, right? The Tiffany diamond, right? Guess where the Tiffany diamond is actually from, right? Yes, it's from South Africa, but guess the name of the mine? The Kimberly mine. Well, because Beyonce was catching heat for a conflict yeah, diamond that she it was, was wearing. It's, stolen, was it's like, a stolen diamond, right? It is yeah. it's supposed to be the most valuable diamond that's only been worn by four people, right? Like, you know? Yeah. And so well, it's like the idea that like this is like this like caucus that stopped this process. It's like, no, like this industry has continuously reaped the benefits. They just show the face of like, we're working on this, right? But like, mm-hmm. they still create this artificial scarcity of like, this is how they keep the valuation high. If they were to say, yeah, literally they're just millions of diamonds, it's just a rock, right? Like, 
Yeah. Then what would people do? Right? You, you, well, people would lose their fucking mind. Yeah. yeah they've cr- but they've created a, this this horrible situation too, where you hear a lot of people from these countries saying, "This is how I eat." Is I I find the diamonds, you know what I mean? And so like in in kind of devaluing the diamond market, like it is inadvertently hurting a lot of these countries because that's where a lot of their money and and currency comes from is by selling these diamonds. But on the other hand, you know, the way to get these diamonds is forcing people into labor, forcing children to drop out of school in order to mine diamonds because that's really the only jobs and opportunity that people have in certain areas of Africa. Mm-hmm. And again, none of that ties back to the fact that a lot of these companies, you know, from Europe and America and other places have a vested interest in them not doing anything else, but mining these diamonds and like getting the cheap labor because you never hear anything in the Kimberly process about, Hey, how could we make sure that the people doing the labor get a cut of these profits you know what i mean like we never hear about hey there's a lot of unsafe working conditions how can we improve the labor conditions of the people mining the diamonds how can we do all of these things to ensure that no it's it's not just conflict free because like again ostensibly an amazon work warehouse is conflict free it's also a terrible place to work you know so like it's not enough for it just to be like yeah well you know no nobody got their hands cut off to get you this diamond but they did like do unimaginable labor to get you just that one stone Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and they got no money from it and there was never any conversation of reparations like you stole billions of dollars for a country maybe the least you could do is pay some of it back yeah you know, and that's even the conversation now with a lot of the royal jewels that people are watching <laughs> being paraded around on television. And they're like, that's ours. When are we going to get those back? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's that's really just like for a movie that that supposedly had this big message that was supposed to be, again, not totally transform the way that people look at diamonds, but really it's supposed to get out this message about where these diamonds are coming from and all of these things that are happening, it kind of just was a moment in time and then wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, I don't think, I think sure people are probably watching blood diamond today Mm -hmm. as entertainment, Mm -hmm. as the movie that Leonardo DiCaprio got nominated for alongside the departed. Like it's like more of just a thing to watch and less of like a call to action, Mm -hmm. which I would say is probably a failure of <laughs> of a movie because that's what it's supposed to be, not just like a popcorn film. It's supposed to be something that motivates people to do better. And, you know, not to put the weight of the world on Blood Diamond, <laughs> but like, I don't think it was very effective in actually bringing about change right, right. in people's lives. No, I don't um, think it was. It did give us, well, I guess, a song that was really popular, though. I'm not gonna lie, it did. I don't hit diamonds from Serbia. Still slaps, still slaps. Well, let's let's quickly play our favorite game here, uh, Shamira. We like to go around and go to all of the different aggregate review sites and see what did people give Blood Diamond. And so we're gonna start with IMDb. Out of ten, what do you think Blood Diamond currently has? Oh my gosh, 
probably like an 8.3 or some shit like that. Mm. Cam, what do you think? Oh, man. I think you're right, actually. I think you're like dead on right, honestly. You go at 8.3. I think we're both going to 8.3. It's got an 8. Yeah. Just a straight 8. One again, like I think people gravitate towards the gravitas of the film. I mean, right? it looks expensive. But... It looks, it's a good looking movie. Yeah. It, like, I think that's what people mistake for it being like servicing the problem. Yeah. That it, since it looks good and since it looks like well made and Leonardo DiCaprio's in it and like, you know, the effects are. Or at least not visual effects or special effects and everything like the movie making of it all, the filmmaking of it all is very like obviously expensive yeah. and it's there on the screen. So that's why it looks but like. You know what's sad? I'm almost certain that this movie gets played in like high schools. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, you're probably right, though. Because it serves well, that it and- serves that thing where it's like there's not too much cursing. There's not too much like randomized cursing. You can, and it still teaches the there's issue. Just there's just death. a lot of like death and sadly, like violence is the like one thing that, that a lot like, of people will like let go free. Like it hits that version of like, you know, how dare you be selfish teens? There's kids starving in Africa, like line that people like to hit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. they definitely like to like that line. <laughs> and speaking of special effects, though, I will add very quickly that in the scene where Jennifer Connelly is saying goodbye to Leonardo DiCaprio, they digitally added the tear. No, you're a lie. Face, uh, just uh, yeah. You're a lie. Where, so, what? Where did you even find that out? Oh my god. I mean, I got. I'm the. I'm the Nardo. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Break this shit down. <laughs> That's something if you met up Jennifer Connelly. Hey, Jennifer Connelly. I heard that tear wasn't real in, in Blood Diamond. Yeah, and he's, she's girl. just like, you know what? I gotta. I gotta go. I gotta. Yeah. So, <laughs> what about on Rotten Tomatoes? Out of a hundred percent, what do you think it currently has? Um, fan or critic or whatever uh let's do both oh fan it's gonna be bonkers high for no reason yeah uh, i don't know like a 90 or some shit like that but um critic if i recall the initial critical review was actually more mixed than you would think um but it still would be pretty high um so like mm-hmm. maybe 75 or something like that um okay but i, I don't know i would say the fan would be like something like 90 yeah, I was I was thinking it was Cameron. literally like the fan was going to be like 89 mm-hmm. and then the critic would be like 79. Mm-hmm. Critic is 63%. Mm-hmm. More mix. Uh audience audience is 90. Yeah. You were right. So, yeah, people people loved it. Audiences loved it. Critics a bit more in line with us in terms of like this is kind of exploitative, you know, in terms of what the message is. Or, you know, it kind of felt like watching uh, like a, just a, a gun-filled National Geographic Ugh. kind of, you know, situation. Like, not necessarily, you know, the most riveting film. Although, again, Leo and Jivan got nominated for Academy mm-hmm. Awards. But, yeah, maybe may a little bit preachy for some critics' taste. Mm-hmm. Finally, Amazon.com, <laughs> our favorite out of five stars what do you think blood diamond currently has i have no idea <laughs> that was I, th- I think i think you do know and i think you don't want to say it sadly it's probably obscenely high but like hmm. like i don't know like 95 or some shit like that 
Okay, well, five out of that. five. Yo, this this feels like five out of five for Amazon. Yeah. Technically, four point seven. Some pe- detractors. Uh, but eighty-two percent five-star <laughs> reviews out of five thousand five hundred and ninety people again love the story. They, lo- I mean, I think in this instance, and for a lot of the movies that have a similar character to Leonardo DiCaprio's, like they love the idea of white forgiveness, right? Like they love the idea that one sweeping action can change the way that people look at them and like wash away all the misdeeds that they did up until that point. So I think seeing Leonardo DiCaprio just look out into the vistas of, (laughs) of Africa as the people, I mean, it was unclear whether or not he was about to be murdered by the RUF or he was just going to bleed out before they even got there. You know what I mean? Like seemed like he was going to have it his way either way. (laughs) So, um, but that's the critical review. And now it's time for us to give our review of the movie and look at our caucasity ranking scale. So we've got three levels of caucasity, Shamara. The first level is shorts in the winter. And that's basically. <laughs> you have to explain that. It's... <laughs> well, for, for the listeners, shorts in the winter is, look, we, we, we can see what it is, right? You know what I mean? Snow's on the ground. Okay. You know, you, you're some, for some reason, you've got the parker on up top, but you still are stubborn with the shorts. You're walking around bare legs, maybe sandals, you know, like not Lip even boots. Flops. You know, you're just, yeah. And, and not to go check the mail or, but just like to live life, you know, to walk around with bare legs. And that is, this movie isn't, doing harm to me but i'm curious and concerned about what's happening here right like i i have questions i'm happy to watch from afar uh but you know it's it's the lowest level that we could get camera what's the second second level level of caucasity is this movie is touching my hair so now this movie is enter my space it's committing an act of violence. It might not know it's committing an act of violence. It might not even know that I'm bothered by that, but you know, it bothers you. And that's really all that matters. Uh, It's a, it's a violence. It's a light violence, but it's a violence nonetheless. And the third level, I, I I had one and now I'm going to double down because I just remembered the other one I was thinking about. Um, but they're 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 kind of tied together because they're both being investigated, and that's Ron DeSantis flying migrants mm-hmm. from Florida to uh, Martha's Vineyard, yeah. right? Or was it Martha's Cape? Vineyard? Martha's Vineyard, and just dropping them there. Yep. Um, as as a gotcha liberals, you know, because you wanted to be a sanctuary city, so now deal with these. Uh, <laughs> random migrants that I'm sending to your doorstep. And lo and behold, now they're suing mm-hmm. him. As they should. Yeah, basically setting them up. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing blew up in his face as him trying to own people wherein, you know, these are people yeah. in need. I think what people also should understand <laughs> yeah, about the situation is that he's not just flying them there and leaving. Like, I mean, that is also like fucked up just in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. They have DHS registering them under false addresses, right? And so mm-hmm. what happens with that is right. that on the paperwork, 
the, those, the, the notices to appear for their asylum hearings go to those false addresses. So like the random warehouse mm-hmm. in Brooklyn or the random whatever the fuck place in Martha's Vineyard. So he's screwing them there. double, screwing them double. So when they miss that notice to appear in front of, you know, um, DHS or immigration court, then essentially they're now put into default removal proceedings, right? And they don't actually get to right. put their asylum case forward, which is a really big issue because they're, they're, they're essentially trapping them. Mm-hmm. Um, asylum case so you know gotta gotta love the governor of florida using tax Him dollars and, and greg to, abbott are in a yeah. both a no neck asses <laughs> and and doubling with this is brett Favre, yeah. yeah uh taking money from black you know welfare uh receivers in mississippi like money that was just intended to go to majority black people on welfare in that in that yeah. city and using it to pay for a volleyball stadium right. and his daughter shout out to deathbed for yet again being exposed yeah. for being responsible for ruining a, a, a because <laughs> uh, a decade ago brett Favre was also called out for um harassing a uh just sideline reporter and that's um, right and she that was. woman never wanted to come forward <laughs> and shout out to agent delario for that yep yeah, the the state's former governor was funneling these funds to Brett Favre in order to do this. Brett Favre text mm-hmm. messages. You know what I mean? Same same way they got him before. <laughs> Man hasn't learned the lesson. Text messages that he sent, basically confirming that he was being paid off. And one damning text message says, "If you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much?" Which is like. Money laundering 101, dummy. Like, don't, don't don't call me on the cell phone. <laughs> don't call me on the work phone, stupid dummy. Don't leave a paper trail of your Brett Favre has never seen a crime movie <laughs> like a burner phone, you stupid dummy. Like just all kinds of things you could have did. Or this is a conversation you have in person yes, that's you not being fool. You but fool. anyways. <laughs> as you could tell, that's the highest level of capacity. These are white people. Operating at the height of their power, the, the height of their caucasity. Listen list again, because I definitely. I'm sure so, so first uh, is shorts in the winter. Yeah, no, like not not yeah. harming, not harming mm-hmm. me. Uh, second is touching my hair, mm-hmm. harming me, but not necessarily mean spirited. Mm-hmm. And then Ron DeSantis yeah. or Brett Favre, uh, mean spirited, horrible, horrible white people here. Intentional, mm-hmm. intentional, intentional. Uh, yeah, mean spirited. Okay. That. Okay. Where do you think Blood Diamond lands? Oh, that's Gosh, okay. I'm Real. gonna put it at Ron DeSantis. That's uh, right. Like, sure. I was trying to see if it was gonna be a little bit below that in my head, but I'm like, I don't care. Why humanitarian bullshit is just like, like <laughs> them. Like, because the thing is that it's all about glorification of self and not really actually helping. One thousand percent. Yeah. That that's really at the end of the day what it is, right? So, like, you're not actually trying to help any like any actual people in the messaging it's all really about like ball and, and it, that extends to the ball and tourism conversation you know like the, um mm-hmm. gosh you remember the era of like white people putting up pictures of themselves <laughs> like so on Facebook, you mean the, era the black square the black square is that yeah young the young african children be like oh my god i miss little mubuntu mm-hmm. you're like who the oh, fuck like god. that kid does not know who you are <laughs> like please like act like you you spent two hours 
child. That kid was definitely talking shit about you. Like people do not understand that those orphans are not orphans. They have families. Like it's literal entire child industry made to prop up white supremacy. Like God. Okay, I'll stop on my rant. No, no, no. That's what this podcast is for. (laughs) That rant. (laughs) We love a good rant. Uh Cameron, where do you put Blood Diamond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is like Ron DeSantis at, at, at work. You know, this is Ed Zwick, repeated offender. Now he's also made other movies that have been like a little more forgiving, I'll say. Mm-hmm. But sadly, it's like he doesn't learn the lesson. Actually, if only if anything, he only doubles down on it yeah. in this case, because he doesn't realize that aesthetically is the art form, cinema, right? Pictures on the screen, moving pictures on the screen. You chose to spend a good 40, 50 minutes of your two and a half hour runtime, just like focusing on multiple deaths of like innocent villagers, innocent people. Like these are things that we can understand without having to watch it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, and in a popcorn setting, like I went to the movies and I bought a popcorn and I bought a soda to watch like uh, Sierra Leone refugees gunned down. Like that's not, my idea of fun ever. No. Right. And so, it's manipulative because it's like trying to make you feel emotional without, you know, so that you can be distracted by the fact that this is not actually a good movie plot, right. anything yeah. arc wise. Right? Because I'm, I wouldn't, I would be lying if I pretended that I didn't feel a story of emotions, but I'm feeling that emotion because Black people are dying on screen. Yeah. Not right. because it's something interesting happening cinematically. Or thematic. Well, I'm feeling right? it. I'm feeling yeah. it from Jaiman specifically because he's the one who's right. like wailing and screaming and like there's right. a. That's what they hired him to do, though. Yeah, I mean, like he acts right. his ass off in terms of like really selling the anguish and the desperation of his character. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Leonardo DiCaprio's like, yeah, I'm trying to get laid though, so like, can yeah, you, like hurry this up, you know. And he's like, right. the, the contrast between those two characters is just like how. Why why are we even focusing on this other part? Because this is How is it not noticeable? Yeah, this is the interesting part of the movie is this man's like desperation to reunite his family. I don't really care if Leonardo DiCaprio gets a diamond or not. That's not yeah. <laughs> of of any importance to me. And yeah. I feel like that, yeah, like it I felt exploited almost immediately. <laughs> like right. the beginning Because the movie goes into it. Almost immediately. Beginning 10 minutes, I was just like, I know what this is. You know, I know what I signed up to watch, but it's still jarring to see like action set pieces surrounding just like people being because when you when you watch it, right, it really is just like I think they are trying to get across, you know, like just the senseless violence that's happening in these situations but it comes without any context it comes without any explanation it comes without any like addendum or follow-up it's just like watch these people get killed and then you know you have Jaiman Hansu in a separate interview saying that things were toned down for the screen and I was like, what were you going to show me originally? <laughs> right. They were going to show his wife get raped. Probably. Uh, sure. Mm, yeah. I, I could imagine that. I mean, I could imagine other horrible things happen with the children, but like 
it's already pretty bad, you know, like the idea yeah. that it could have been God worse. Y'all just it up to watch children drinking beer and playing spades or whatever the, the fuck, scene, you know what I mean? Like, the scene where they come back to the city after having taken it, and it's basically like a music video dance break, where oh. they're just like celebrating in the fire and like, you know, poking dead bodies and like this whole thing. I, again, I was like, this is... <laughs> This is a cartoon. Yeah, it basically reenacted like a Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Like, you know. like this is this is a cartoon. Like this is like they want to show you how over the top and like savage things were. But it's like it's like but these are real Cuban beans in the midst mm-hmm. of the story that you're trying to tell me. And so like there doesn't have to be a right or a wrong side. I feel like that's really where this movie fails is that there's so many shades of gray in this situation right. and they really want to establish the the heroes and the villains right and like there's no I actually think there is a right and a wrong side but the right and wrong side is the imf and the white people like right. not you know, the black people well that's oh. that's the, i think that's the thing is because they exclude all of that and so like you're right. the only choices are you know like why are these black people killing yeah, each other? You know, because even within like the government and the rebels, like rebels insinuates rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the sense that they initially were fighting against something, right? And like why there's a rebellion to begin with is not even brought up or explained. So it's just, it just seems okay. like they spontaneously decided to take up arms and murder people and mine for right. diamonds as opposed to like there was probably a reason it doesn't you doesn't have to necessarily be like a reason that you agree with but like yeah. there's something that happened there's some reason that right. set all but of these events in motion we do get to understand that danny archer has ptsd because jennifer Ar- Connelly's character is like my dad came home from the war and it took him 20 years to get right yeah. get know? right so it's like we get to talk about his triggers right <laughs> no that's the thing like there's so much attention paid to the interiority of Danny and uh, Jennifer Connelly and like almost none paid to any of the African characters at all. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like Captain Poison, again, very much seems to want to get out of Africa. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I, because it's hell, I guess. Because, because it's bad there. Nobody wants to live there. <laughs> oh, before I forget, shout out to Stephen, whatever the fuck his last name is, from Seventh Heaven, who has now been disgraced oh. as, like a child predator. Like, Whoa, this is like, isn't this like probably his last appearance somewhere? I think so. Because so, like, I only remember him as a dad from Seventh Heaven. I forgot he was in this movie. Yeah. And then I was like, damn, this nigga is like, Persona non grata for like society right now. Yeah. Like, we gotta be the moral authority. I'm like, yikes. I wouldn't talk so loud if I was you. I wouldn't be up on that microphone if I was you, man. <laughs> looks like it's being recorded. Right, right. Well, before we get out of here, uh, if if people want to make some recommendations, uh, I will start by saying, and this is this is going to also ca- double as our reimagining of the movie, because really you should just watch Cry Free Town, uh, mm-hmm. which is a 2000 documentary by Soria Samora, which is a mm-hmm. lot of what this is based on. Like they were a consultant for the film, like Edswick watched Cry Free Town mm-hmm. and like Sorius was like, oh, you know, like I see that you're making a movie 
based on my country, <laughs> I would like to help consult on this movie yeah. and like, you know, make sure that you get things right. And I couldn't really find any like, well, how did he feel after he saw the film? <laughs> like, was it the same energy of just like, yes, I liked the way that you depicted my country or what was that? <laughs> Racial slurs and all this other stuff. Um, so that would be my recommendation alongside uh, War of Algier, which I think is like a a movie that actually does do, you know, like conflict in Africa in a way that is nuanced and shows multiple sides of conflict and is done in a, a way that... Um, is it was a documentary style it's not an actual documentary um the battle of algiers but they were shooting that movie as the actual conflict was happening and it's like it's almost indistinguishable documentary footage from uh what they uh you know posed yeah and it was, I mean, shot on location. So, like, it wasn't that's, like... So, was, that's a wild movie. Yeah. A friend suggested it to me, actually. And I saw it, and I was like... Uh, I, my jaw was on the floor at the end, learning that it was, like, shot on location during the very conflict. Yeah. It's like, that. that's not a thing we even do now. No. That's insane. And it's, 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 the results are incredible. The results yeah. are really incredible. Right. Uh, Shamira, I don't know if you have any recommendations that you would like to make. It doesn't have to be in relation to Blood Diamond. It could just be something people can watch instead of Blood Diamond. Yeah. Um, Okay, so for people who like to read, right, um, I highly highly recommend people um, follow the website Africa is a Country, a really great place to read just like critical thought and essays around from people around the diaspora um, on just like critical thought um you know I don't know I'm trying to think of like a good recent essay I read from there um uh let's let's see I'm like actually on the site right now but they, they talk about like really amazing things from like a from a culture perspective right so like you know for example like the recent essay they did was like Afrobeat is bigger than Bella right like the actual mm-hmm. original Afrobeat right you know they go from politics to uh you know like for example during the um AFCON or um uh, which is like uh, basically for those who don't know, who don't follow soccer, that's like World Cup, but just for the African continent, right? Um, African Cup of Nations, um, uh, you know, my country, Comoros, like became a Cinderella story, right? And so they did like a whole kind of video profile um, where I connected them to some uh, Comorians in, in France. And so like they, they do profiles like that. They, you know, investigate colonialism in different interesting ways. Um, and so I really recommend it. They do different mediums um, in different ways, right? So Africa as a country is I think a really recommended resource um, Sunu Journal is another one. Um, they do things in English, French, and maybe Portuguese, but I do know they do it in English and French, um, which is done by Amy Saul, who's a cultural critic and professor at the New School. Um, and Sunu just means R and Wolof. So um, do a lot of interesting multimedia things there. Um, so I recommend those for people who are just into you know new mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, last one is, uh, just because we mentioned Sierra Leone, Yatu Jusu is a filmmaker of Sierra Leonean descent and her film Nanny won Sundance last year and it's going to be coming out on Amazon in a couple months, right? Um, and it also speaks to um, the immigrant experience. It stars Anna Diop, right? A uh, uh, Sudanese American actress who is dynamic in it. I have seen it personally already. I'm looking forward to getting wide distributions 
please look out for it. Um, I think it's going to be a really great conversation when it does come out. Um, but yeah, so that's another one by a Sierra Leonean director mm -hmm. who is, um, I think, a really, really brilliant mind. For sure. Uh, well, Cam, you got anything to add to the list? <laughs> Uh, the one I will suggest um, is one I saw probably like three, four years ago for the first time, but it had been, it was made in 1970 uh, by a French Martinian uh, filmmaker, Med Hondo. Uh, this is Soleil-O, which is like kind of, honestly, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen about colonialism but also like one of the direct, most direct and truest because it is like trying to lay out like the the history of it directly, specifically uh, a little bit to the uh, director's experience also. Uh, but it's a very funny movie. It's a very serious movie. It's a very well-made movie on top of that. It's got like vibes of like French New Wave going on in it. Uh, I would definitely check it out. It's one of those things that it's like, if you, it's like Black Girl, where it's you would see it in repertory a lot. If you're here in New York, uh, places like Film Forum, The Metrograph, they would play they play this, and it does get played quite a bit now that it's uh, found a new restoration. But definitely, if you have a chance or you know have access to it or know it's playing near you, Soleil O by Med Hondo. All right. Well, I mean, we've we've talked about Blood Diamond. Like, I don't know. I think we really gave it's worth it, worth it for this, this one. And it, yeah. But I think it was important to really discuss this movie because I, I think it's one of these films that, like you were saying, similar to Crash, you know, has endured in a way that people probably watched it, ingested it, never thought about it again, but like have a hazy yeah. nostalgic, like that was a good movie, and probably haven't watched Blood Diamond since 2006 and if they went back and watched it we'll probably be like yeah oh. <laughs> things have changed I mean, since this leonardo movie came out leonardo's face um, has changed since that movie came out thank you so much for coming on and talking with us this has been fantastic i've had a lot of fun thank yeah this was a great conversation a great yeah i mean yeah. again in in context the movie did not have a great time but talking about it with you <laughs> had a great time <laughs> yes, um, yeah. so tell everybody where they can find you on the internet tell everybody what you got working on what they should be looking out from you in the future right um if you for whatever reason would like to see me talking shit online god forbid right. <laughs> i'm on twitter at underscore sham god that's with one m um but um uh uh i should clarify that as a reference to sham god wells i feel like people don't realize <laughs> that sometimes um uh because somebody asked me recently if i was trying to like compare myself to god i was like guys i'm from harlem there's a basketball <laughs> anyways <laughs> that was the whole thing once i had to explain i was like okay anyway <laughs> but um uh, so um, there, uh, also i'm on instagram at shamira the first um both places um uh, you can either see me talking nonsense um, or see me posting just like updates on what I'm working on. Uh, um, I do have a Substack uh, that I don't use as a subscription service, more so to keep people updated on like a semi-monthly, you know, basis as to like what I've been writing on the internet and in general space, right? Um, so you could also follow my Substack. I promise I won't spare you. <laughs> but. Uh, like I really write it in like once a month, right? But um, 
uh, what else do I have? And that's actually, I'm glad that's substack.com, I think, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should know that off the top of my head, right? Um, and yeah, what I've been working on, I have a couple of things in the works for the most part. Um, I do have an essay in the works. Um, I don't know if it'll come out by the time this comes mm-hmm. out, but about Michael K. Williams that I'm trying to finish up. So uh, that should be coming out pretty soon. Um, I'm percolating on a couple of other things that I'm also working on, working on too many things. But I think that's the main thing that I think is almost definitely coming out. Okay. So I'll you know, mention that, um, you know, speaking of how we talk about Black context, Black trauma, um, I think that'll be an interesting conversation to have um, once that gets published. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm really excited to be here. You know, happy um, about your podcast. I think this is a great conversation, guys. Thank you. Uh, well, Cam, tell everybody where they can find you at, what you got going on. Uh, you can find me at the blipster 1138 on Twitter and IG. Uh, mostly foolishness right now, uh, but uh, I'm working on a couple projects. So hopefully maybe I'll have something concrete to tell the peoples about. Uh, right. But for now, follow me for the foolishness. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, this is great. Like, I feel bad when people follow me on Instagram when they follow me for whatever they think is inside on Twitter. I'm like, guys, I literally only post like TikToks. <laughs> hey, hey. Like, I mean, the feed, the feed is like updates on my work, Legit. right? But like, literally, like, I was like on Ice Spice's street team posting munch memes. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, somebody gotta do it. Somebody gotta do it. <laughs> like. So I was just like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't, you know, yeah, I'm really a bird from upside at the end of the day. Like, I, I don't really know. <laughs> you contain me. multitudes, you know what I mean? Like, you get, get it, get it how you live. I come, say that's, uh... come for the, uh, come for the blood diamond takes, stay for the ice spice, yeah. <laughs> uh, the news, I guess. <laughs> Um, well, I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JRSosa18, JRSOSA18. Comic stuff is coming out. Samurai Sonia from Dynamite is out now. Woo! One last ep- uh, issue is coming out in October. And then starting December, Red Sonia, Hell Sonia starting up. Then So be on the lookout for that. And then more comics coming soon in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll let you know what that's looking like. Um, but if you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us at white underscore pod at Twitter. You can also reach out to us at white people won't save you pod at gmail.com. Um, you know, like, always interesting to get letters from people you know we've gotten a few few good ones recently um so maybe we'll start reading those out uh when we (laughs) when we have you know time at the end of the show but we we appreciate everything that you know people have been sending our way so keep doing that and we'll be back next week with more caucasity peace peace You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. <laughs>